I would love to use you in a modeling campaign. Some version of that statement is how far too many women's interactions with Peter Nygaard began. The Finnish Canadian entrepreneur, fashion mogul, multimillionaire, if not billionaire at the height of his wealth, approached women for literal decades. Oftentimes, women he'd also invite to his house in the Bahamas, named Nygaard Key, or at one of his many other properties across the world, and offer to help them get a jump start in their careers. And then things, based on so many allegations, would often quickly get very fucking dark. Once alone, sometimes with a guard stationed outside the door, Nygaard would allegedly assault many of these women who were also often drugged. It's been estimated that his victims number in the hundreds, and many were teens. At least one alleged to only be 10 years old. Nygaard's story far too reminiscent in the worst of ways to Jeffrey Epstein's. As one victim put it, still shell-shocked, years later, I told God that I did not know we had these kinds of monsters in the world. Nygaard was one of those monsters. Still is, just not active and free, thanks to currently being in police custody. Unless this monster gets one more big pass on his horrific behavior, he will thankfully die incarcerated. Small consolation prize to the many people he's harmed. Sadly, it took way too long to finally catch this slippery bastard. Throughout his financially lucrative career, which began in the late 60s, allegations of sexual conduct conduct go back at least uh, five decades. He managed to disguise himself as a respectful businessman, a celebrity, a philanthropist, a charitable donor hosting church groups and children's camps always demonstrating concern for the poor. Like so many predators, he was, and still is, a skilled manipulator. For roughly, uh, yeah, five decades, he used his company's influence to recruit women to his house in the Bahamas, where he held uh, what he called pamper parties, events where women would get massages and pedicures while he watched and he hunted. Well, he uh, used his company's influence to recruit women for uh, roughly five decades. Used the house in the Bahamas uh, for a couple. Nearly all of the women he came into contact with at Nygaard Key were entered into a secret database on his company server, one that held personal information about these women, their addresses, phone numbers, how beautiful Nygaard thought they were, other information that Peter's henchmen, and he seems to have a lot of henchmen, uh, were able to gather. Many of these women were minors. In a video to promote his anti-aging stem cell research, he called these women, uh, these girls, his source of youth. And there are numerous credulous allegations that he tried to literally use their youth to reclaim his own uh, youth in the darkest. This feels more like a movie or a conspiratorial fever dream than real life of ways. Like some nonsense posted in a crazy chat room on some fringe corner of the web. According to numerous sources, he supposedly intentionally impregnated teen girls, then forced them to get abortions, then harvested stem cells from the fetuses so he could get stem cell injections uh, from fetuses genetically similar to himself under the misguided belief that this type of stem cell treatment would be the most effective way to, uh, you know, reclaim his youth, you know, anti-aging technique. Uh, that was his fountain of youth. It's, it truly was terrifying to be a woman anywhere near Peter Nygaard. His story is so grotesque, so outlandish in moments. It includes not only sexual assaults, uh, illegal, illegal and twisted stem cell research, but also bribing politicians, a weird feud with a billionaire, billionaire next door neighbor and more. And his case is still developing. But fortunately, it's likely that the end of his story will play out very quietly. An old, disgraced man alone and dying in prison. Today, we'll tell his story. And then uh, a rarity on this show, we'll interview legendary pedo exposer Chris Hansen about this case and talk to him about uh, much more. Why do these men do what they do? I'm not sure anyone alive has done more than Chris Hansen to bring pedophiles to justice. And when the chance came up to interview him for this show, uh, we jumped on it. He's someone I've admired from afar for a long time. How did he end up exposing pedophiles, putting them behind bars? Uh, how did that become the, the main thrust of his life's work? We're going to ask Chris that after we first get familiar with Peter Nygaard's story. How did a farmer's son from Finland go on to become an extravagant fashion icon? 
How did he continue to be a fashion designer with a multi-million dollar company as dozens and dozens of claims of abuse followed him year after year, decade after decade? How did he keep the activities at Nygaard Key a secret? All of this and more on another sex-crazed supervillain. Thank God these monsters are the exception to the rule and not the meat sack norm edition of Time Suck. This is Michael McDonald and you're listening to Time Suck. (laughs) You're listening to Time Suck. Happy Monday, Meat Sacks. Welcome to the Cult of the Curious. I'm Dan Cummins, Suck Sultan, Whipple Pimp, uh, Chicken Skin Duffel Bag Owner. And you are listening to Time Suck. Hail Nimrod, Hail Lucifina, Praiseable Jangles, and I hope you rock some Triple M uh, back on the 4th. Uh, got some weird-ass merch for you, uh, Meat Sacks, today. Have you uh, ever wondered what 100 Ed Kemper paintings would look like? What if What if I told you Logan ran old Ed through an AI art generator 100 times? then put that on a t-shirt. Would you want to go check it out? You should. So check it out. Ed wants you to. Don't make him put your fucking head on a stick. How about a framed poster? Perhaps a tote bag. Have you checked that out? You should. Do, do not get Ed's apples all fired up. A brand new 100 Ed's collection, because why not, in store now. It's what mother demands at badmagicmerch.com. Uh, one more announcement, a charity one. Uh, in light of recent mass shootings, uh, we have... Uh, you know, we're going to donate to the to the victims of mass casualties. Talked about this last week. I just recorded this episode uh, the day after last week's episode. So we still don't have the uh, donation amount, but just uh, reminding uh, people what we're donating to. Sometimes in all the political back and forth regarding the gun control debate, I feel like the financial needs of the victims, uh, you know, the families of the deceased in uh, mass shooting events, they get lost. Uh, we decided to donate to the National Compassion Fund. Their mission is to give funds to the victims of mass casualty crimes, such as mass shootings and terrorist attacks. Donation amount, still TBD. In the meantime, if you'd like to donate or learn more, please visit nationalcompassion.org. And that's it again for today. Unless you want to check out my TikTok, at Dan Cummins Comedy, just like Instagram and Facebook. Been posting a ton of stand-up clips and will be uh, continuing to do so all summer. All right, now headed back to the realm of international predators. The person uh, who many have described as Canadian Jeffrey Epstein. In my head, that phrasing makes me think of him as a, like a kinder, a, a more polite Epstein. Since for some reason, I have stereotyped Canadians as being some of the nicest, most polite people on earth. Maybe before uh, sexually abusing anyone, uh, you know, he, he would ask, please emphatically apologize when it's over. Oh, oh, geez. Oh, so sorry about that. Uh, it won't happen again, eh? Uh, I'm not even sure where that stereotype comes from, by the way. And that was a lazy, terrible Canadian accent, I know. Uh, Maybe I've just met a string of especially polite Canadians. I do pay attention to manners to an anally retentive degree. And I've by and large been very impressed with the many Canadians I've met. Uh, But this dude, Nygaard, not a nice Canadian. Not a nice human. Fucking supervillain. Every bit as vile as Jeffrey Epstein. While less widely known, at least here in the States, uh, he might actually be worse. The sex crimes went on for longer. Uh, Got even more disturbing. Alleged victims even uh, younger by the end. The similarities between these two uh, particularly prolific pedos are somewhat uncanny. Uh, Both flew young women down to the Caribbean to be assaulted in places authorities would turn blind eyes to. Both allegedly trafficked young women and girls to their friends and influential business associates. Both frequently held lavish parties, often used to lure and impress their intended victims. Both had women and others uh, serving up young girls and women to them on a steady basis. Nygaard enlisted girlfriends or employees to round up girls for swinger parties and other gatherings for sexual encounters and some of his properties, including one in Marina del Rey, California. 
uh, very similar to what uh, Ghislaine Maxwell did for Epstein. For Nygaard, his uh, most, oh, and by the way, just before I sat down and record, I uh, did see that Ghislaine got, what, 20 years? So hopefully that'll allow her to die in prison. Uh, for Nygaard, his most hope, high profile, excuse me, alleged recruiter was a Brazilian model. She still is a Brazilian model named uh, Suelen Medeiros. Though many women that fell into his clutches would supposedly find themselves uh, in the role of recruiter. So not just her, there were several. Like with Epstein, Nygaard even befriended Prince Andrew, who came to his pedophile island retreat as well. That fucking guy, uh, the king of having shady ass friends. Both Nygaard and Epstein also came from blue collar families, went on to amass an enormous amount of wealth. Former TV host Robin Leach once said that if he could only pick one person to best embody the lifestyles of the rich and famous, be Peter Nygaard. I love that show as a kid. I'm Robin Leach. Welcome to Lifestyles of the Rich and Famous. Uh, my grandma Betty would watch it with me. I wonder if uh, I oohed and odd at some episode featuring Peter Nygaard's uh, lavish digs. Guess I guess I probably did. Uh, whereas Epstein was professionally a financier, Nygaard made his fortune in the world of fashion. He was a business wizard in a different way. From buying a small stake in a small Canadian brand to turning it into his uh, multi-million million dollar company, Nygaard would eventually grow his business into Nygaard International. Massive conglomerate with multiple product lines, hundreds of millions of dollars in annual revenue. The Nygaard fashion brands include uh, Peter Nygaard Collections, Bianca Nygaard, Nygaard Slims, Nygaard Moderate. Also had three national brands that were exclusively available at Dillard's in the U.S. Fucking Dillard's. That's how you know you're crushing the fashion game. That you are an undeniable force to be reckoned with in the fashion world. When you have your shit at Dillard's. Perhaps only Kohl's rivals Dillard's when it comes to fashion prestige. I actually don't mind Dillard's. That was all probably unnecessary. But it really doesn't have that uh, high fashion kind of appeal, I don't think. Uh, Nygaard marketed women in their 30s and 40s who needed something inexpensive and good-looking, uh, leading some to dub him the Polyester King. Not the coolest king name, but I guess better to be a polyester king than not be a king at all. Uh, Nygaard's innovations with software, manufacturing, production efficiency caused him to stand out amongst his peers. Though he failed to achieve the, you know, the runway artistry or receive the critical acclaim of contemporaries like uh, Yves Saint Laurent, Nygaard uh, focused more on practical fashion, sales efficiency. He grew his empire immensely from 1995 to 2004 in particular, not through models on the covers of magazines wearing his designs, but from creating very efficient distribution software that allowed for instant replenishment. His stuff was uh, consistent, dependable. Too bad he wasn't a dependable uh, human being despite never really being the talk of the fashion world, like Gianni Versace, Ralph Lauren, or Tommy Hilfiger, uh, he still was enough of a major player to come into regular contact with many, many young women. Women who wanted to be fashion models, business executives, just find a well-paying job in a large, successful company. Instead, they'd find themselves in a waking nightmare. So let's, uh, let's check out this nightmare now. Uh, today on Time Suck, we'll be covering a case that's remarkable in more ways than one. Uh, more ways than one. Here's how we're going to do it. We're going to first look at Nygaard Key, Nygaard's version of Epstein's pedophile island, where he sexually assaulted women and girls for years in a Mayan-themed tropical house of horrors. Then we'll look at what Nygaard has said in response to the allegation against uh, allegations against him, namely that they're the result of a feud with a, a billionaire neighbor. Uh, then we'll dive into the timeline and see how a farmer's son from Finland grew up to make hundreds of millions of dollars in the fashion world and also become one of the most prolific known sexual predators of the modern world. Then we'll meet Chris motherfucking Hansen. 
even though he doesn't seem to use profanity. Uh, from To Catch a Predator, he'll share additional details about Nygaard, give us additional insight into sexual predators just in general. Uh, like I said earlier, we don't do interviews here very often, but uh, we've just covered so many of these pedos. Couldn't pass up an interview with Hanson, especially since he really helped expose this particular dirtbag we're covering today with his four-part Discovery Plus docuseries, <clears throat> excuse me, Unseemly, the investigation of Peter Nygaard. Like with Epstein's Island, uh, talking about Peter Nygaard is impossible without talking about the place where many of his crimes went down. So let's begin with that key. Uh, his compound in the Bahamas called Nygaard Key near Nassau, the capital of the Bahamas. Unlike with Epstein, Nygaard uh, Key, not actually its own island, even though it's mentioned as an island or its own island in numerous sources. Uh, it's a small peninsula on the island of New Providence, same island that Nassau takes up about half of. It's on the opposite western side of the island, overlooking Clifton Bay, 4.2 acres at the tip of Lyford Key. Well, actually, by the end of, uh, I'll mention this at the end of the episode, but it, it, it grew. So sources lift, uh, list uh, it as different sizes. It's about six acres now, but for most of its use, it was a little over four. Uh, by the way, I'm pronouncing uh, C-A-Y as key. I did find a few places on the web that stated that in the Bahamas specifically, unlike the rest of the you know Caribbean, uh, had no idea we'd be in the Caribbean, uh, you know, uh, again so soon, by the way. Uh, the key was pronounced K or that key was pronounced K. But listening to random YouTube videos pronounced produced by people born and raised in the Bahamas, uh, everyone seems to say key. So key it is. Lyford Key is a private gated community loaded with homes worth tens of millions of dollars apiece, a very opulent. Uh, Sean Connery lived in this neighborhood, the same neighborhood as Peter Nygaard. And uh, for a long time, ruled it with an iron fucking fist. During the 1960s, it was literally a lawless land, thanks to some strange zoning laws. And Connery, during his James Bond years, reportedly killed somewhere between 6 and 11 people, most of them small children. Locals eventually learned uh, that you do not walk or run across the Connery's impeccably manicured lawn unless you feel like taking a couple shotgun blasts to the head and then having your body hung in a gibbeting cage as a warning to other trespassers. The Connery also used its home as a base for pirating taking anywhere from 20 to $40 million worth of loot and sinking five boats in Clifton Bay. Or, you know, Sean Connery just, just lived there. And it was a pretty cool, trouble-free neighbor. So one of those is true. Uh, Nygaard first started spending time in the Bahamas in the 70s. And though he would claim that it was mostly to get away from snowy Canada, and I'm sure that was part of it, uh, the fact that the Bahamas had a reputation at that time for being very flexible with a variety of laws probably also had uh, quite a bit to do with it. A lot of, a lot of bribing was commonplace. Uh, that reputation arose in the early 1960s when Castro's takeover of Cuba inspired an organized crime boss named Meyer Lansky to move his operations to the Bahamas. Known as the mob's accountant, Lansky, Polish by birth, of course, no. uh, along with uh, Charles Lucky Luciano, was instrumental in developing organized crime in the U.S. in the 1920s, 1930s. We mentioned Luciano a few times in uh, previous sucks. Uh, Lansky suggested to local politicians that gambling be legalized. And after some bribes, it was. He also may have uh, soon paid a lot of politicians to look the other way regarding a variety of business transactions. Soon, international businessmen and banks were flooding in to conduct a whole bunch of secret financial dealings. With organized crime came a haven uh, for tax evasion, money laundering via casinos owned by crime outfits, and international drug smuggling. So basically, it was a lot of fucking fun to live down there. Drugs, gambling, cheating on taxes. Uh, to protect their interests, these criminals provided campaign financing for politicians, in particular those from uh, the newly formed Progressive Liberal Party, the PLP. Like, uh, provided campaign financing, uh, bribed them with a lot of money. And that went on for decades. The party became insanely corrupt, 
The Bahamas became a place where if you had enough money and were willing to share enough of that money with local officials, you could pretty much do whatever the fuck you wanted to do. In April of 2016, the Bahamas Tribune reported on a survey by Transparency International that found that corruption is, quote, rooted in the fabric of Bahamian society. Found that one in 10 citizens have been forced to pay a bribe within the past year to obtain a a basic public service. And only about 6% of the people surveyed admitted to reporting corruption when they experienced it. What was the point? You're just going to report corruption. uh, You're going to call somebody who's also probably corrupt. Uh, Not one person who reported corruption ever saw the authorities take action on it. Not one. Sadly, they did not list uh, how many people uh, they surveyed. Uh, or at least that's not very easy to find because I looked extensively. Uh, the studies listed in numerous publications referenced in uh, by Transparency International in their archives, but doesn't say if they, they surveyed 1,000 people, 10,000, you know, 100. I assume it was at least a few hundred. However many it was, not one saying a thing uh, about corruption is obviously troubling. You know, not one just saying that, like, you know, that they're going to do anything about it because what was the point? Uh, the kind of place based on decades of alleged actions that led to two countries, the U.S. and Canada, both wanting to imprison him right now, seems to be, uh, have been exactly what Nygaard was looking for. I assume based on how long he's been an uh, alleged predator, he was looking for a place where sexual assault was likely to go unreported. You know, that was probably a lot more important to him than uh, sunny weather. A place where if any sexual assaults uh, did get reported, you know, nothing would be done about it. According to a 2020 U.S. State Department human rights report, violence against women in the Bahamas, quote, continues to be a serious widespread problem. In 2007, the small island nation had the highest rate of rapes out of any nation in the world. And in 2018, the U.S. State Department issued a travel advisory warning for tourists that sexual assault is common in the Bahamas. That's fucking crazy. It's fucking like the fucking rapiest place on earth. How fucking scary is that? That in a a country where no one, uh, almost no one seems to report anything. Super corrupt. There's no point in reporting anything. And like soup and just the rapiest. The rapiest place. Uh, one Jane Doe who came forward in a lawsuit would say that in the Bahamas, rape is particularly under underreported due to a culture of stigma, stigma, oh my God, stigmatization. There we go. Victim shaming, government corruption, and weakly enforced laws. And that's now. I can only imagine how bad things used to be when Nygaard first moved there. Uh, during Nygaard's first visit to the Bahamas, he lived on a sailboat searching for the perfect Caribbean property. Then in the, in the mid-70s, he bought an estate named Viking Hill. In the late 80s, he wanted to expand. And in 1984, he purchased a beach bungalow for $1.76 million. Uh, this bungalow and the property it sat on would eventually become known as Nygaard Key. The beach property lay at the northwestern tip of the island. In that exclusive gated community I mentioned earlier, Lyford Key, described as a thousand-acre enclave, a private haven for international membership, according to the club's website. In uh, Hansen's documentary on Nygaard, Unseemly, the investigation of Peter Nygaard. It's referred to as one of the world's first gated communities. Uh, Lyford Key, designed by uh, as a gated winter community, the brainchild, brainchild of E.P. Taylor and Sir Harold Christie, a scion of the uh, Bahamian, I think I said Bahamian earlier, it's Bahamian, of the Bahamian family that once owned a 3,000 acre plot at the western tip of New Providence. Construction began in 1956. Uh, 1962, when President Kennedy flew to Nassau, for a series of private world-ranging talks with the British Prime Minister Harold Macmillan, he stayed at E.P. Taylor's house and the Prime Minister stayed next door. So hoity-toity shit. According to a Town & Country article from 1975, other early residents of the community included uh, you know, wealthy businessmen, uh, an heir to an auto fortune, Henry Ford II, uh, uh, Prince Rainier III of Monaco, uh, Huntington Hartford II, a real estate tycoon, once one of the world's richest people, 
uh, socialite and fashion icon, Babe Paley, married to the founder of CBS and certainly the most beautiful, um, you know, uh, other beautiful women and one of, some of the most powerful men in the world. And Peter Nygaard joined their ranks. The Mayan-themed compound he built would be Nygaard Key, a 150,000-square-foot property in a house of horse. 150,000 square feet. That's, a, that's an insanely big just uh, mansion. Lindsay and I's house is just under 3,000 square feet, and it feels very big to me. His compound was over 50. Like, you could put fucking over 50 of my, <laughs> of my four-bedroom, three-bedroom houses inside of his house. It's like he lived in a fucking private shopping mall. And it was just uh, opulently decorated. The main building was anchored by a, a nearly 50-foot replica of a Mayan pyramid. Inside the structure were massive and ornate double doors that led to Nygaard's lair, like he was some fucking evil local lord, which he basically was. Like, I picture him sitting uh, behind those double doors and just like a massive throne of skulls, wearing a crown made out of daggers. Bag- Bagwan Rajneesh, you know, just stands to his right, just his evil wizard. Welcome to Nygaard's lair where all sexual taboos will become as broken as your spirit before you leave check out the yachts they're so sick bro uh don't worry about that character if you're a new sucker don't worry about it Uh, it was a pretty sick place uh 20 bedrooms nygaard told guests that he had personally designed all the beds uh, which ranged from 10 feet long to 12 feet wide to octagonal in shape. There was even one that uh, hung on a cable. And with the push, push of a button, it could be lowered uh, <laughs> down to the ocean below. It's like float on the ocean. Just a fucking, what the hell? Uh, that'd, be, that'd be pretty cool, uh, pretty cool uh, bed, actually. Hard for me to picture that. I wish I could see it. Uh, there were two, bo- two pools, excuse me, one indoor pool, had glass through the middle, uh, allegedly had dolphins on one side and sharks on the other. I uh, had five additional spa pools, whirlpools, tennis court, two volleyball courts, basketball court, three yachts, staff of 20, two Hummers, uh, 48-foot uh, fishing boat, 24-seat movie theater. That does sound pretty awesome. Uh, just saw Ma- uh, Maverick uh, a while back, if I didn't already mention that on this one of these shows. I think I did. Uh, so good. Anyway, this place uh, had exotic birds, plants, random animals, gigantic state-of-the-art audio system, helipad. Got to have a helipad. Uh, constant rotation of vehicles to the Nassau International Airport to pick up more and more guests. It was like a little bit cooler than uh, my place, I guess. Even though it uh, doesn't have a tree fort. Did not have a tree fort. Uh, this place also had water slides. Something described as a human aquarium. Guessing a bunch of models. Paid to swim around in a giant tank. Uh, a 32,000 square foot grand hall. With a 100,000 pound glass ceiling. Uh, a gym built onto the beach. Statues of nude women. Supposedly modeled after the bodies of some of Nygaard's favorite exes. Scattered around the property. Uh, fake volcanoes. Because why not? Spouting dry ice, uh, a disco hut. Gotta have a fucking disco hut. Uh, and you gotta have a disco hut with cameras under the floor to look up women's dresses, which he had. What a sleazy detail. Uh, had a chunk of the Berlin Wall, because why the fuck not? Uh, had an underground cave that could house 30 cars. Uh, had a racing track. <laughs> this is absurd. Almost all of it decorated with Mayan inspired motifs. More than 300 golden and Jamaican palms were planted throughout the grounds, including uh, many of the uh, hiding, excuse me, many of the property structures in the shadows. At the heart of the property was a nearly 80 foot tall man-made mountain, supposedly built in the image of the Matterhorn, but a tropical version that was also home to a colony of peacocks. Fuck, <laughs> Jesus Christ. I mean, I get having fun with money. If you make a lot of it, sure. I mean, treat yourself to some toys, but this, God, so much. 
I just don't think I could enjoy the company of someone who used a massive chunk of their wealth, you know, to, to build and maintain this monstrosity. It's just so showy. It actually, it actually reads just so fucking sad to me. So insecure, you know, so much overcompensation or something. Just look, look at how cool I am, everyone. Check out my mountain of the peacocks. I am a big deal. I'm the cool kid. I made it. Uh, for some reason, adding these comments to my notes, I imagine how fun it would be at the height of Nygaard's fame and power to be one of the, like, you know, one of his many guests at some big party where he's just, you know, a big VIP, just, just king shit in his kingdom. It's fucking super predator. And then just go over and just grab him, knock him down a few pegs in front of all his friends. Maybe first put him in a headlock. He's not a big guy, you know? Just give him an aggressive noogie. Wouldn't that be fun just to take some like fucking super powerful person who's also a piece of shit and just like treat him like a like a like they're uh, getting picked on in seventh grade by a bully? Just give him a fucking noogie. And then while I do this, everyone else present, all the all his VIP guests and friends, they start laughing while I start saying shit like, oh, look at King shit, everybody. <laughs> Not looking so cool now. Peter, tiny Peter Nygaard. Man, I bet you want to rape me, don't you? Ah, but I'm not your type. I'm not a petite 15-year-old girl, you piece of shit. And then just, I'm nuking him the whole time. I'm just taunting him in this flight of fancy. Then I let him go and I'm like, get out of here, you little rascal. But then when he tries to run, I grab him by his underwear, right? Just reach down in the back of his pants and just fucking rip, just give him like a super violent wedgie, right? Just literally lift him up off the ground if I can. And you know what? This is my fantasy. I can do that. If I want to do that in my fantasy, I'm going to do that. So you know what? I do lift him up. I lift him up easily by his underwear. And then I fucking bounce him around by the elastic in the back. I like this fantasy. I'm getting into I want some mood music to just enhance this fantasy. This is the music now that's playing. I have the DJ play. Hey, DJ, fucking little Clyde, please. And then once his underwear finally rips apart and he thinks he's going to get away from me, everyone is around us now in a big circle watches. And they're cheering and laughing hysterically. Maybe, ha ha, get him, get him. And then when he starts to run, I grab him by his fucking hair, his signature shoulder-length, wispy, fucking weird hair, and I pull him so hard, he just falls back onto his back. And, and then I just start dragging him around in a circle, like faster and faster, uh, like helicoptering him, you know, until eventually uh, I'm just spinning around in place, whirling and whirling, he's floating up in the air, he's trying to hold onto my arms to take the pressure off his hair, but he's, he's too weak and stupid, and he can't hold on forever. And then eventually, a big clump of his hair just rips out. He's crying now. He flies off, you know, into the onto the floor. Everyone's pointing and laughing. I toss the clump of hair. Maybe some of his scalp into the crowd. People jump for it like bridesmaids trying to catch flowers at a wedding. You know, this is really fun to imagine. Let's keep it going. Next, I, I, I take him and I throw him into the, the fucking uh, shark tank pool. Right? Where in this fan- fantasy, there are very dangerous sharks, but not huge sharks. Right? I don't, I don't want it to end quick. And then because of the blood uh, from his head, you know, and the scalp, they go into a feeding frenzy. But it takes him a long time to kill him. And he dies in that pool while his guests laugh and watch and cheer. Uh, the last sights he sees before darkness. And then, uh, you know what? And then, Because why not? It's my fantasy. Then he dies and then fucking he wakes up to Satan himself. Just butt-fucking him in, in, the, in, in hell. Just raw-dogging his butt. No lube. Just rip, ripping on his chicken skin duffel bag, too. Just fucking jerking on his nuts. He's, he's, he's now burning chicken skin duffel bag. <sighs> yeah, that was good. That was fun. I probably went further into that fantasy than I... I needed to, you know, but that was, uh, initially I was just, uh, initially I was just going to think just wedgie. I was going to leave it at wedgie, but then it was just fun to take it farther. Uh, let's return to uh, reality now. <laughs> I'm having more fun now. Uh, Nightguard's weird Mayan fuck temple house place kingdom, uh, with constant parties echoing loud music. Neighbors claimed that they didn't really know what was happening in there, but many had suspicions that something unusual was going on. 
Uh, one cab, cab driver recalled, girls would come out of the hotel, catch a cab. They would get in. He had a secretary or something down there. They'd have the cab number. They'd call when they needed the girls to come back uh, uptown. I never had a conversation with them. Only sometimes when they'd go down there, they'd be upset talking amongst themselves. Another driver described rumors of wild parties saying the women would have their names on a sheet that a security guard could check. If somebody wanted me to pick them up at a certain time, they'd leave my name uh, and the taxi number at the gate so I wouldn't have any problem getting in. Often when he had parties, Nygaard would supposedly play the theme of Andrew Andrew Lloyd Webber's Phantom of the Opera on repeat. Okay, it's an odd choice. That's about as weird as the Calliope music. Uh, And he had uh, parties frequently with some illustrious guests like Robert De Niro, uh, neighbor Sean Connery, right, the Connery, local star Lenny Kravitz, Michael Jackson, George H.W. Bush, Barbara Bush, Lee Iacocca, uh, Sly Stallone, Jessica Alba, members of the Kennedy family. And yes, Jessica Alba is an illustrious guest. Don't you dare think otherwise. Did any of these people know what was going on? I, I don't think it's, it's fair to assume they all did. Um, but some probably, right? I, some of these guys like Nygaard are so good at keeping portions of their lives private, but I bet, I bet some of them got a peek or some of them probably did some horrible shit. Uh, Nygaard Key was primarily a place for parties with models. Models flown in from Las Vegas, other major U.S. cities. A photo from one of these visits shows a model playing volleyball in a black slip while Nygaard wears a t-shirt that says, Shut up, I'm worth a billion. Ha <laughs> ha, so cool. God, what a cool guy. That's the kind of shirt a super fun, down-to-earth, humble, not piece-of-shit guy wears. A good portion of the women he invited weren't models. They were just regular women who got caught up in the partying lifestyle. Sometimes just teens. As I said earlier, as young as uh, 14 at these parties. Uh, one woman who spoke with reporters on the condition that she remained anonymous said that while it was very, said that it was very clear what was happening at Nygaard Key. She was a visitor to the uh, Key from 2002 to 2003. When she arrived, she'd be given a skimpy swimsuit or a top and a small skirt. As models got their hair and nails done, older men, politicians, famous people would mill around. Eventually, someone would come over and say, This person would like to get to know you better. And that was code for going off with the person to a room or to a jacuzzi, uh, like one big orgy, the woman would say. This is like uh, Jezebel's from The Handmaid's Tale. This is just fucking disgusting. Uh, She said she caught Nygaard's eye when uh, she was just still a teenager. In her words, he took me into his bedroom and he was like, if you keep doing this with me, I can make you out to be somebody that's constantly a part of my fashion line. When she declined, he invited her to bring a friend the following weekend, as long as the friend was female. According to this anonymous woman, she heard stories of Nygaard demanding that women had sex with one another while he taped them, uh, specifically instructing them on what to do. And many of these girls still in high school. The Bahamas, the Bahamas lacks rules, right? That we talked about earlier, helped Nygaard to transport his victims to the key from anywhere else in the world. His jet, which was built in the 1970s, was a massive Boeing 727 with Nygaard's name painted across the entire side of the plane. Inside, nearly every surface covered in gleaming silver or blue chrome, Ceilings were mirrored, uh, Nygaard N-Force painted on the walls inside, along with massive blown-up photos of Nygaard himself. He, he was nothing if he wasn't humble. Uh, there was even a chrome stripper pole inside. Right? He was, a, he was a, just a nice, nice guy. Just a nice, uppity-up guy. Uh, did Epstein study this motherfucker? He sounds like Epstein's mentor. Uh, the jet could seat 13 regular passengers, 8 VIPs. Once it touched down in the Bahamas, Nygaard would bribe officials to prevent them from searching this plane. Don't check passports. Don't look at luggage. The bribes were just standard operating procedure. According to flight records, Nygaard took roughly 80 flights in and out of the island uh, a year. How many girls was he transporting back and forth from Nygaard Key and destinations unknown? Uh, Since 2018, Nygaard hasn't had access to the key and the resort has been permanently closed. 
On September 28th that year, Nygaard Key was seized by the Supreme Court of the Bahamas as part of a legal battle surrounding Nygaard's efforts to dredge the seafloor around the estate. Now the place is in shambles. Uh, interesting priorities there. You can fuck as many underage girls as you want in your mansion. You can rape them and stuff. But do not touch the seafloor. That is where the local authorities draw the line. Underage girls, clearly uh, considered a disposable, renewable resource. But the seafloor, that's precious. Uh, since Nygaard hasn't been found guilty in anything yet, he still has to go to trial. How has he responded to dozens and dozens of horrible allegations against him? Well, he blames most of them on a long-running feud with his former neighbor in the Bahamas, a celebrity I'm sure you're familiar with, 63-year-old actor Kevin Bacon. Nygaard opened up a huge can of whoop-ass when he bribed local officials to ban dancing and rock music across the island, and then Bacon had to lead a fucking dance coup against that pedo piece of shit. Sorry, I love that song, by the way. Uh, I meant to say Nygaard had a long-running feud with 65-year-old Louis Bacon. No relation to Kevin Bacon that I'm aware of. I'm glad that Louis Bacon made me think of uh, Kevin Bacon. Because much like Michael McDonald's, Michael motherfucking McDonald, uh, Kevin Bacon and Footloose is just, uh, ah, just like soul candy. Uh, Louis Bacon, uh, also a billionaire, functionally the opposite of Peter Nygaard. Those who know him say that he's a private, modest uh, person, stripped down, personal style, doesn't like attention. Uh, Bacon grew up in a, a wealthy real estate business family in North Carolina boarded at Episcopal High School in Alexandria, Virginia, and then graduated from Middlebury College and Columbia Business School. The hedge fund he owns and runs has, uh, or, you know, some $15 million under management, or at least was worth that much as of a few years ago. I know things fluctuate considerably. Uh, his estimated net worth uh, in 2017 was just under $2 billion. And this is a pretty funny feud between these two. Uh, the two men became neighbors when Bacon brought the property bordering Nygaard Key in 1994. He paid just under $6 million. Then over the next 15 years, purchased two adjoining pieces of land for an additional $20 million. Uh, soon after moving in, Bacon found that he shared a strip of road called an easement by the property's developer, E.P. Taylor, with Nygaard, since Nygaard's property was at the westernmost tip of the island. Uh, Bacon uh, soon discovered that their road, which ran through his property, was constantly full of cars going uh, you know, late into the night, uh, owing to the constant parties that Nygaard was throwing. He also found out that the parties often lasted for days. With the music so loud, it made it hard to sleep over the sound of the music and, uh, you know, people. I wonder if they're ever playing that song. Jack, get back. Come on, Probably. I don't, get the, I don't get a footloose vibe from Nygaard. Uh, he complained to uh, local authorities in the Nygaard, but the, the, the traffic wasn't illegal. So the party continued, right? And Nygaard, you know, had the officials in his pocket. King Shit continued to rule his Mayan fuck temple house palace kingdom with a soft, non-calloused, weak pedo fist. Uh, in 2005, Nygaard doubled down in his partying ways. He invited even more people over, more girls. He had to have a new 15 by 20 foot concrete parking slab poured on Bacon's side of the property line. Bacon then responded by suing Nygaard, obtaining a court injunction to remove it. So he does win this. That injunction gets uh, bogged down in the local system, though, because of bribes, and the slab remains. So he doesn't really uh, win. Two years later, Bacon Furious decides to more aggressively fight back. I love this. He installs, I would love to do this uh, to a former neighbor of mine. If, 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 if I still had this neighbor living to me, this would be fun. Uh, he installed industrial grade speakers at his property line pointed at Nygaard Key. <laughs> uh, Bacon's architect, Peter Talty, uh, addressed this saying, we hired a sound consultant in the UK to see if we could somehow muffle the sound from Nygaard's by emitting a counter sound. But that proved terribly complicated. 
So we went and got four huge rock concert speakers to play something loud in response. He just fucking blasted this guy with so much loud music. In a legal filing, Nygaard's lawyer characterized them as military-grade speakers that blared dangerous, pain-inducing sound waves toward Mr. Nygaard's home. God, that is very funny to me. Uh, how fun would it be to do that to a neighbor yeah, you hated? And what sound would you blast at them? I, I thought immediately of the purge siren. Oh my God, if like some neighbor you hated just fucking like industrial-grade speakers, so like a wall of speakers at your property line just pointed at their house, like loud enough to rattle their windows just over and over all night long. That would fuck their parties up. Uh, Bacon, anyone else continue to picture uh, Kevin Bacon in this feud? Come on. Uh, uh, yeah, so Bacon uh, uh, had this section of the road running through his property rebuilt. This is what he does next. Adds a dip, tall flagstone walls on either side, leaving no shoulder space for anyone to even uh, conceivably think about parking there. Also screening uh, the driveway from view. So that's smart, totally legal. And uh, the dip uh, in this road now creates a drainage problem when it rains, and soon the road is full of massive puddles. So visitors to Nygaard's place now have to wade through mucky, mosquito-infested water. And this fucking really pisses off Peter Peter Puberty puberty eater and uh, he and bacon end up filing 16 legal actions against one another nygaard also hires a whole team of documentarians to fake evidence and try and prove that bacon is involved in insider trading drug smuggling uh even that he's a member of the kkk this is all just uh nonsense uh people em- he employed posted elaborate series of youtube videos that uh, launched fake news websites with names such as bahamas citizen bahamas national these uh sites devoted solely to ruining bacon's name Post accused Bacon of taking credit for efforts of local activists when he accepted the Audubon Medal for preserving Clifton Bay in 2013. They called his acceptance speech, which jokingly uh, cited Gone with the Wind, uh, wildly racist. Nygaard's lawyer, Kiad Smith, would even organize a parade where participants wore KKK hoods and carried anti-Bacon signs. These guys were not fucking around with this feud. How entertaining this must have all been for their neighbors. So much fun gossip. Uh, Nygaard even got the police in on this. In the summer of 2010, 11 armed uh, Bahamian police officers conducted a raid on Bacon's Point House estate, during which Bacon's staff were searched and interrogated in his possessions, including pictures of his kids, were photographed. They were pressured to do so by Nygaard. Because of this, in January of 2015, Bacon then leveled a $100 million defamation complaint against Nygaard, not in the Bahamas, but in New York, where both men's businesses were headquartered. Dealing with Nygaard, Bacon would say, is like having dog shit on your shoe. (laughs) Fucking just keeps scraping it off. Uh, Surprised one of those dudes didn't hire a hitman to kill the other one. Then after a lawsuit by 10 Jane Doe's was filed in New York in 2019, accusing Nygaard of a wide range of sex crimes, uh, the feud rose to a whole new level. A New York Times investigation found out that uh, lawyers tied to Bacon offered Nygaard Associates generous incentives to build an abuse case, including including Cartier jewelry and a regular salary or a year's rent in a gated community. For his part, Nygaard paid tens of thousands of dollars to people providing sworn statements to use against Bacon in lawsuits. And then Nygaard would use this opportunity to blame all of the allegations against him on Bacon's meddling. It was all Bacon. All fucking Kevin Bacon getting footloose and fancy free with his accusations. Uh, Ken Friedman, Peter's spokesman, denied all these claims, said that the allegations were Bacon's fault. Uh, He was trying to smear Peter Nygaard by coercing women to fabricate, manufacture, sordid stories about him. Nygaard accused Bacon in a lawsuit of masterminding a huge conspiracy to plant a false story in the Times about his sexual misconduct. Bacon, for his part, said he felt obligated to take action after hearing 
of uh, a wide ranges of sexual abuse by a neighbor or from a neighbor. Awaiting trial currently, Peter Nygaard still insists he's innocent of uh, all the charges against him. It's all Bacon's meddling. Is he innocent? No, no fucking way. Now, there's way too much credible smoke for there not to be a big fucking fire here. And uh, the accusations of sexual abuse go way back before Lewis Bacon ever entered the picture. Let's, uh, let's, let's, let's look at that. Let's look at this in, in detail now, these allegations in this guy's life. Let's get into the crimes of Peter Nygaard in today's Time Suck Timeline. Right after today's mid-show, but really more towards the front of the mid-part of today's show, sponsor break. After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if you've learned anything, it's that there's always a catch. So when you hear that Mint Mobile wireless plans are $15 a month, when you purchase a three-month plan, you're probably thinking, what's the catch? Well, there isn't one, really. They cut the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly to you. It's pretty simple. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans for just 15 bucks a month and no catch. All plans come with unlimited talk and text, plus high-speed data delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. And you can use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts over. And in addition to saving money, like over a 50% price drop from what I was paying before, the network quality, in my experience, is better than it was with my old service provider. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash timesuck. That's mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash timesuck. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. I still love peanut butter and jelly sandwiches, but I'd stopped eating them almost entirely a while back because the bread on top of the sugar from the jelly made me so sleepy. All those carbs causing me to want to take a nap after eating them. Enter Hero Bread. Hero Bread takes the fear of carbs out of bread, but still leaves you with that delicious bread taste. Hero Bread has zero to one gram of net carbs, zero grams of sugar, and it's high in fiber. It's also delicious and flavorful. The soft, fluffy experience you love when enjoying a savory breakfast burrito or mouth-watering cheeseburger. There is something for every craving, including sliced bread loaves, buns, and tortillas. And there are monthly small batch drops of indulgent favorites, like the two grams of net carbs Hero Croissant or the one gram of net carbs Hero Cheddar Biscuit. I had a loaf of Hero Classic White Bread delivered last week. Soft, fluffy, and delicious. Five grams of protein per slice, and it's high in fiber. And the best part? Hero Bread doesn't taste healthy. It tastes like bread. It's great. Don't give up on being a breadhead. Hero Bread is offering 10% off your order. Go to hero.co and use code TIMESUCK at checkout. That's TIMESUCK at H-E-R-O dot C-O. And that's it for today's mid-show sweet fucking deals. We have it in our contract that the deals have to be so fucking sweet to be be on the show. Let's, uh, Let's get to that timeline now. Strap on those boots, soldier. We're marching down a time-suck timeline. July 21st, 1941. Peter Nygaard, born in Finland. He later claimed that his true date of birth, two years later, July 24th, 1943. One of the many ways this guy will try and seem younger. His parents, Hilka and Ili uh, Nygaard, were farmers, which would later enable Nygaard to sell a rags-to-riches image to the world. And take the sex allegations out of it, uh, his story is a rags-to-riches story. 
He'd say that his original family home was a hard scrabble place about as far north as anyone can survive. Peter was born during a tumultuous time for Finland. Roving packs of wild dogs had recently overthrown the government and burned most of their cities to the ground. Or the Soviets had invaded the Scandinavian nation in 1940, and from 1941 to 1945, the Finns allied with the Nazis to try and fight off the Soviets. By, uh, but by late 1944, the Nazis had turned against the Finns, aiming to seize valuable Finnish nickel mines. This sparked what's known as the Lapland War, which was fought between Germany and Finland from 1944 to 1945. Nazis destroyed much of northern Finland through the conflict, leaving more than 100,000 people homeless, around 1,000 Finnish troops dead, and their economy in shambles. Not a pleasant place to grow up at that time. Peter and his only sibling, his sister Elisa Nygaard, younger by a year, were effectively born into a war zone. 1947, the Nygaard family moves uh, to Helsinki, where Peter's parents open a bakery when he's six. And then they move again in 1952 when Peter's 11 to uh, Deloraine, Manitoba, Canada. So big move. They move to a small town of about a thousand people, very rural agricultural area, about a three-hour drive west of Winnipeg. Why did they move? Fearing that the USSR would eventually invade and seize their small business, the Nygaards applied for and got political asylum in Canada. According to family legend, Peter's father chose Deloraine because it was just a centimeter a centimeter away on a map he was looking at from where his brother lived in Hibbing, Minnesota. But the two cities would turn out to be more than an eight-hour drive from one another across an international border. Sounds like uh, Papa Nygaard should have paid a bit more attention to a little thing called fucking scale on the map. Canada offered a better life than the one the Nygaards had in Finland, so they started over, right, making their home in a converted coal shed. Oh, living in a sweet-ass coal shed that was roughly 80 square feet inside. Oh, yeah! Get that coal shed! No, it wasn't a deluxe apartment. Uh, they were not moving on up. They were, uh, there was no water in this coal shed, no electricity, just an ancient stove that kept the room somewhat warm. And the family's only bathroom, only bathroom was an outhouse 200 yards away, <laughs> which is fucking absurd. Temperatures in Manitoba can sometimes reach 50 degrees below zero Fahrenheit and in the winter, uh, without wind chill, uh, they had to literally risk freezing to death. Just take a shit. And they were doing this in the middle of nowhere. No wonder he had that Mayan temple compound built later. No wonder he wanted to be so extravagant. He grew up in a frozen coal shed. Years later, that shed would be preserved at the Nygaard International Headquarters in Winnipeg. Careful bit of imagery to show the world that Peter was a self-made man who came from nothing. As a kid, this young shed dweller showed an aptitude for hard work. One of his earliest hobbies was collecting Coke bottles from ditches, selling them for two cents a piece so the family could buy water, which cost 25 cents. Guess he did this in the uh, summer when he uh, didn't again have to risk uh, freezing to death. By age 12, he'd start his own paper route. Was even able to buy a bike with his profits. Also, I'm sure ridden in the summer. All this was summer shit. In the winter, he probably mostly just cried in the coal shed. Passed the time by counting how many tears froze on his cheeks or something. Uh, the family would move to Winnipeg sometime in uh, 1954 or 1955 when Nygaard's father got a position there in a bank. Uh, he was 13 or 14. As a teen, he attended Norbury Junior High in Winnipeg for a year or two where he was a member of the basketball team. Uh, that school ran through the ninth grade. After Norbury, Nygaard continued on at nearby Glenlawn Collegiate High School. Also worked as a lifeguard. Uh, bought his first car and would soon be ready to leave his small town for bigger and better things. Asterix, kind of. First, he went to one year of junior college in Hibbing, Minnesota, living with his cousins. So not exactly. Uh, bigger and better things. Uh, Hibbing is an industrial town of about 15,000 people in the frozen land of northwestern, or excuse me, northern Minnesota. 
that is somehow even colder than it is in Deloraine. Once reached negative 60 degrees Fahrenheit. Again, no wonder that dude wanted to spend a lot of his time in the Bahamas later. Uh, while living in Hibbing, he once drove through Grand Forks, North Dakota, spotted the University of North Dakota, the school all fashion moguls go to. I mean, right? When I think of Grand Forks, North Dakota, I think of, I think of progressive, cutting-edge fashion. I think of a place uh, New York and L.A. social elites look to to see what's going to be the next cool hip trend. Uh, 1964, Nygaard graduates, uh, graduates from the University of North Dakota with a business degree. Uh, compared to Hibbing, Grand Forks is balmy, tropical almost. Rarely dips into the negative 40s in the winter. Hardly anyone dies from being frozen. Uh, not that many fingers are lost to a frostbite each and every winter. Instead of playing basketball like he ha- had in high school, he was determined to use his time in college to advance himself professionally. Also, he's 5'7", not super athletic. Basketball, not really an option anymore, even if he wanted it. Uh, he did become pretty popular, joined the campus uh, business fraternity, Delta Sigma Pi, became its president. Then after graduation, he quickly landed a job with Eaton's, Canada's largest department store chain at the time. It would sell clothing similar to what he would design and sell later. Nothing too fancy, practical shit. Maybe stuff kind of like what I wear. I mean, to be honest, I do rock New Balance sneakers a few times a week. I know people make fun of them, but I think they look cool and they're comfortable and they are practical. Uh, according to Peter Pito, he took an aptitude test that identified him as a prime candidate to take over as president of the company. Uh, I doubt it. I mean, I highly doubt that they had employees take aptitude tests that gave their egos that much of a stroke. <laughs> do you have a job? Oh, heck yeah, you do. Says right here on the test, you're probably gonna be our president. And soon, what can I do for you? I don't wanna get fired when I'm uh, working under uh, you in a few weeks. Actually, his real job was something like an errand boy, sweeping floors, stocking shelves, hauling bags. However, he would quickly rise to an executive position at Eaton's where he'd oversee uh, more than $250 million in sales across North America. So even if the test wasn't real, he clearly was uh, born to lead in retail. But he wouldn't lead to Eaton's for very long. He'd quit just three years later to join Nathan Jacobs' Tan J clothing line. Uh, he reportedly took a big pay cut, but he was now working for a fashion designer and was able to buy a stake in the business by borrowing $8,000 to buy 20% of the company. So it's a pretty small company. Uh, the company uh, will do a million in sales that year though. And then Peter will change that substantially and quickly. Uh, September 20th, 1968, Nygaard marries model Carolyn Knight in Winnipeg. Carolyn was a model and socialite. Uh, local newspapers gushed over their picture-perfect wedding, describing Carolyn's triple-tiered crown of iridescent crystals. And it doesn't seem that Peter uh, molested or raped anybody at the wedding that we're aware of. So he was uh, on his best behavior. Uh, they would be separated after less than two years. She probably had some, you know, weird, selfish issue with him being an, uh, you know, insatiable sexual predator. <laughs> Women. What are, you, what are you doing? Just, come on. Uh, 1970, Nygaard becomes the full owner of Tanjay and soon renames the company Nygaard. Uh, grows his new company quickly, expanding its uh, many brands, Peter Nygaard, Nygaard Collection, Tanjay, Nygaard Slims, Bianca Nygaard, we mentioned those earlier, Westbound, Allison Daly, A-L-I-A, Aaliyah, and more. If just one of those brands means anything at all to you, then you know way more about Nygaard's clothing than I do. Uh, These lines mostly targeted women 35 years and older, uh, mostly in the mid-price range. Around around this time, he'd meet a flight attendant, also named uh, Patricia Bickle, when she was on a layover in Waikiki, and he was uh, on his way back from some business dealings in Asia. He apparently asked her very quickly into their uh, uh, burgeoning relationship. They're, you know, having a little fling to get pregnant and begs for her to take her IUD out. And she does. And they will date on again, off again for several years and will end up having three kids together. He'll not be in an actual monogamous relationship with her, with her though. Uh, he'll never do that again after his marriage. 
1972, a 19-year-old woman, not that he even probably did that in his marriage, but he may have done that, done that in his marriage. Uh, 1972, 19-year-old woman named Susan was looking for a job that paid well in Winnipeg, ended up getting one at Nygaard. Within a few days, Peter Nygaard called her on her home phone. She would later figure out that it was inappropriate of him to get her phone number from the company records. Uh, he asks uh, if he can take her out and she accepts. They go to a hockey game. And then as he, when he's driving to take her home, he asks if she wants to, uh, if she wants to stop by his apartment for a drink. She agrees, uh, thinking he'll take her home afterwards. But as she enters his apartment, she later alleges that he crowds up against her, rips her blouse off, then violently pushes her to the floor. With one hand, he pins her neck while he tries to remove her pants. Each time she struggles, he presses on her neck harder. Uh, so she lets it happen, afraid he might seriously injure her or worse if she doesn't. Afterwards, she'll say he, uh, or she'll say that she had to use the bathroom and then use that as an excuse to leave. She doesn't report him to the police or talk about this publicly for many years because her dad was on the police force and she didn't want to make him deal with it. She was afraid of how he'd handle it. 1973, Nygaard meets model uh, Helena Jaworski in Winnipeg. He moves fast and on April 21st, 1971, she has Nygaard's son, Peter. She'll have to sue him for child support to get any financial help raising Peter. Nygaard will refuse to play a major role in his son's life. Uh, she'll receive a judgment of just $150 a month because at that time, Canada did not consider income when awarding child support. Seems pretty fucked up. Good thing they changed that. 1975, Nygaard strikes a controversial deal with designer Nancy Ebker. At the time, she was, a to- uh, at, the, she was you know, at the top of the fashion elite in New York City. Uh, that July's fashion column in the New York Times raved about the graceful culotte skirt she crafted for the Jonathan Logan Corporation. She did so well that she was named the president of the Susan, Susan Thomas Sportswear Division, a conglomerate that owns several clothing lines. Uh, my wife, Lindsay, who graduated from a fashion institute, she knows all about this uh, sort of shit. None of these terms meant anything to me when I uh, first started researching. No idea what a culotte skirt was. Uh, it's, it's basically a skort, right? A split skirt, a divided skirt. Pretty hot too, based on a Google image search. So hail Lucifina for skorts. Good old culotte skorts. Uh, anyway, Nancy was the only American woman serving as a president of a major fashion company, making around uh, uh, 187500 uh, a year, nearly a million dollars a year in 2020 dollars. But things at the Susan Thomas Sportswear, or I don't know why I referenced 2020, be today's dollars. Uh, things at Susan Thomas Sportswear division weren't going well. Its parent company, Genesco, announced that they were getting out of the apparel and focusing on footwear and accessories. But they did offer to let her buy the lines and continue them on her own, something she'd need about a million dollars to do. Word made its way to Peter Nygaard. He offers her a deal. He'll allow Nancy to continue running two of her lines, Sportswork, uh, Nancy Ebker, and Vivo. He assures her that he'll be hands-off, strictly uh, absentee management. When it comes time to sign the papers, Nygaard insists that a verbal agreement is all they need. I'm sure you get the gist of where this is going. Soon, Nancy will regret making this verbal agreement. Within weeks, Nygaard bombards Nancy Ebker and her staff with a rapid-fire series of memos about how to run the company. Also removes, just does weird shit, like removes the only water cooler in the building. Just saves them uh, $30 a month. Very petty. Just, you know, just controlling any purchases uh, she makes now have to be approved by management at Tanjay. You know, his company, he slashes salaries for her staff, uh, moves Nancy's office from the front of a spacious showroom to a tiny storage room. Such a dick move, if true. Here's your new office, Nance. And yeah, it isn't a fucking janitor's closet. Try not to touch anything while you work on your precious designs. I just bought that mop. I don't want to see it scratched. It's like something out of a sitcom. When Nancy refuses uh, to tell him that, uh, or when Nancy refuses to uh, to agree to a lot of these things, you know, telling him that uh, what he's doing is not in their agreement, he said she had just a few days now to pay him a million dollars for the rights to her clothing lines. 
including the patterns, samples, and all the orders. If not, he said he would destroy her name and reputation, and then he went and did that. Now, of course, Nygaard's version of this story is different. In the decade-long legal battle that ensued, he was in so many legal battles, which is often not a good sign of someone. He said, I offered her any way I can to have a smooth transition, and I suggested and highly recommended that we keep this very amicable and do it as smoothly as we can so it would not hurt either one of us. How diplomatic. Sounds like a lawyer wrote it. Uh, one judge, Judge Irving Cooper, did not buy Nygaard's claims. In his ruling, he would write, Nygaard's repeated attempts to impeach the credibility of Ebker only served to reinforce our conviction that Ebker was a highly credible witness. Nygaard's demeanor on the witness stand was evasive and insincere, and he contradicted himself on numerous occasions throughout the course of testimony. Nevertheless, the judge found that the plaintiff, a.k.a. Nancy Ebker, had failed to persuade us by a fair preponderance of the credible evidence that she was damaged by the actions of Nygaard. So in short, the judge would suggest that Nancy didn't bring anything to the partnership. You know, uh, she wasn't killing it financially, therefore could not be damaged by Nygaard's actions. They would each be ordered to pay their own legal fees, which of course would hurt Nancy way more than Peter. Uh, 1977, somewhat casual, but not really girlfriend Patricia, gives birth to Peter's daughter, Bianca, first of their three children. That same year, Helena Jaworski keeps pushing the courts for child support and is awarded $1,500 per month. But Nygaard then fails to pay it. A judge would write that Helena has sold almost everything she has in an effort to assist a child. Meanwhile, Nygaard has Patricia and their daughter set up far away from him in the Bahamas. So many great dads in many of these episodes. Maybe we should change the name of this podcast from Time Suck to Check Out This Week's Fuckhead Father. Uh, now let's talk about how shitty Peter was in other ways. Deborah McDonald will later remember the harassment beginning immediately when she started working for Nygaard in 1978, the year Peter's international sales first topped $50 million. Only 11 years earlier, the company, you know, first broke $1 million. Uh, also in 1978, Deborah said Peter constantly tried to grab her breasts, uh, once went into his office, and he greeted her while graphic porn played in the background. Not normal. Meanwhile, Nygaard was living the high life, making his offices more party spaces and workspaces. In a 1978 Winnipeg Free Press article, Nygaard's bachelor pad was featured. The article read, his private office is a veritable ode to Nygaard's curious blend of sensuous hedonism and steely practicality. At first glance, it seems a typical millionaire playboy's den, designed more for the pursuits of the flesh than any financial carryings on. Plush carpet, soft lighting, a passion pit, complete with a sofa that converts to a bed at the push of the button, and a mirror-equipped ceiling. To the reporter, Nygaard bragged that the floor was heated so in the winter, guests could walk around barefoot or even naked. Fucking 70s, man. Don't think this guy turning his office into a blatant fuck pad would be seen as being pretty cool today, not unless your actual work was porn or something then, you know, kind of practical to have your office be a fuckpad. Uh, another article written two years later would describe some sexed up add-ons to the dude's office. Uh, press another button and the well-equipped bar in the corner becomes a fully equipped kitchen. Further on, a concealed door leads to a lavish bedroom, complete with a hidden telephone, a shower, and a sauna. 1979, his girlfriend slash breeding partner, Patricia, gives birth to another daughter, Aaliyah. Uh, following year, January 16th, 1980, Peter Nygaard finally arrested for rape but he's not going to be really detained. An 18-year-old woman, he's now 39, told police in Winnipeg that the fashion mogul assaulted her. Nygaard paid a $7,500 bond, immediately walked free until the trial. While they were investigating that rape case, the investigators searched his apartment, found a book with several women's names with comments by the names. The woman who he'd assaulted back in 1972, Susan, was listed. Uh, They called her father, the police officer, and asked him, why is your daughter's name in there with the comment, needs more work beside it? Man, how fucked up is that? Needs more work. 
right after he uh, fucking held her down by the throat and raped her. Uh, if you haven't seen a picture of this guy, uh, he's no Adonis, by the way. No pinnacle of male attractiveness. He actually looks like, to me, one of those fucking puppets in Dark Crystal. Have you ever seen that 1982 Jim Henson fantasy film? Like he, like he looks human-ish. Clean, you know, he looks the part of like an eccentric fashionista. But if you just dirtied him up a bit, you know, kept his hairstyle, overall physical appearance, exactly as it is. Uh, he would look like someone, you know, struggling with a uh, long-time hard drug addiction, severe mental illness, maybe living in a fucking dumpster. Dudes ranking women like that has long been a pet peeve of mine, right? Almost every guy I've ever heard do something like that. Always a douchebag and just, uh, and not the cream of the crop themselves, right? It's such a gross mentality. Ugh, fucking needs work, you know what I'm saying? Well, uh, she's, she's a six. She's a six, you know, not bad, but, you know, doing a, she'll do in a pinch. Uh, Susan's parents hoped that something would come with the arrest, but June of 1980, Nygaard's rape case is stayed, and the victim refuses to testify. The prosecutor told the Winnipeg Free Press, we put her on the stand, asked the appropriate questions, but she didn't want to say anything. How sad. Can't imagine how tough that could be, right? To have to share that kind of violation in a public way. Now, watching Chris Hansen's docuseries on this piece of shit, women were interviewed who alleged she'd raped them like, you know, four decades plus earlier. And they'd keep such composure, be able to joke around even. But then when they tried to describe the actual rape, the pain showed up on their faces, uh, heard in their voices immediately. And that was when they'd had, you know, 40 plus years to process it. And uh, when they were speaking in all likelihood to just one producer with maybe one camera operator in the room, not speaking to a, you know, packed courtroom potentially only months after it happened. Since the case was stayed, the man Nygaard got to walk away with no offense on his record. Uh, but he would make sure to blast the police for using poor judgment and ever going after him. According to the Winnipeg Free Press, he said the whole matter could have been avoided had they adopted a more sensible attitude. If those guys would have just been cooler about a little bit of rape, writing a few notebook entries about how fuckable or not my various victims were, well, then King Shit wouldn't have had to waste his time in court. He could have been fucking in his Hugh Hefner rape office. Uh, in addition, the paper noted Nygaard said he was planning on starting a watchdog foundation that will finance the work needed to improve the quality of the justice system. Mm-hmm. Help make sure more rapists don't get unfairly dragged through the mud. Nice. Uh, but in the years after his arrest, like so many other offenders who've been caught and then released without punishment, it seems like it just uh, emboldens him. You know, it's like I can just get away with whatever. After the rape case ended without significant effects on Nygaard's life, he seemingly becomes uh, an unrestrained sexual predator and his own company. Is his primary hunting ground. One woman, Jonna Lorson, a 32-year-old single mother who was hired as a merchandiser at Nygaard International, said she'd heard rumors about his behavior but decided to ignore them and try and focus on her job. But he wouldn't make that very easy. Just a few months after she started, Nygaard sent her to Hong Kong to meet with some of his manufacturers. When she arrived, she said she was ushered into a VIP suite at a hotel where she noticed that the uh, door to the adjoining suite didn't have a handle on her side. It's a little bit of a red flag uh when she asked the manager about it, he told her that the other side uh you know wasn't rented don't even don't even worry about it but then in the middle of the night she said she awoke to find nygaard standing above her fucking bare-chested started to cry just fucking just watching her in bed starts to cry as he to- tells her that everything's gonna be fine no one has to know and then she alleged that uh you know peter peter what a fucking creeper raped her following this nightmare Although it was not in her job description, Nygaard pressured her then to model sample clothing and meetings with the Hong Kong colleagues. At one point, uh, in front of some of these men, he grabs her left breast, asks if it's padded, because he says it'll just look bigger than the right one. Huh, gosh dang. Uh, she would stick it out for two years, enduring more abuse, wondering if she should quit before she was fired. 
Fury, she threatened to go to the papers, expose what she'd uh, gone through. A few hours later, a company executive showed up at her door with a check for $8,000 and a document to sign. She took it, would not speak about her experience for decades. Another employee around this time, Dale Dreffs, uh, was once called into Nygaard's office. She was shocked when he started speaking to her from an in-suite toilet where he was sitting with his pants down. At another meeting in front of colleagues, Nygaard asked her to stand by his desk while the colleagues uh, presented. He started to run his foot up and down her thigh. Meanwhile, to the outside world, Nygaard proclaims uh, he's an ally to women. He'd say, uh, in my opinion, a woman is every bit as good of a leader as a man. And in fact, perhaps even better. In many ways, I feel that if there were more women leaders in this world, we would not have wars. Women know how to give. <laughs> Head right up top. Suck that dick. No, he didn't say that part. Uh, he said women uh, know how, only how to give. Many men, uh, m- men many times only take. Uh-huh. He's a great guy. He's a great guy. Uh, by 1986, Nygaard is getting tired of family life, uh, the demands for child support. He suggests to Patricia that she pack up the kids, move to Switzerland. He'll, uh, he'll buy her an awesome apartment there. They settle on shared custody with a child support stipend of $7,000 per month. Just take the kids to Switzerland where I won't go. I just don't want to be in the same country with him. He avoids parenting duties at all costs. He's busy making other conquests. That same year, he starts seeing another flight attendant, Karina Paca. She was also a Finn. Nygaard tells her shortly into their courtship that he wants her to give him a fully Finnish heir. Give me an heir to my polyester kingdom. Uh, then once she gets pregnant, Nygaard all but disappears. Nygaard doesn't show up for their son's birth. Instead, uh, sends flowers and a toy. That's a nice touch to Karina's house. Later, the guy worth hundreds of millions of dollars by now sends her an envelope with $300 in it. Excuse me. How generous. Uh, 1987, Nygaard begins his database of female guests to Nygaard Key. Once parties at the compound begin, uh, as guests arrive, Nygaard will have them photographed and uh, you know have that entered into this database. He'll rate them A, B, C, or D. <laughs> Jesus Christ. A being the most beautiful. Women given an A rating uh, had to have what Nygaard called a nice toilet, meaning a large backside. Company communications would later reveal that girls wouldn't be let in at all if they were, quote, big boned. For fuck's sake. That's so crazy. That was actually in company communications. Like he's putting this in writing. Like I just imagine him sending a fax back then to some subordinate. As I said on the phone the other day, no fatties. We're throwing a sex party. We're not hosting a cake eating contest. Come on. Let's fucking turn this ship around. This guy just such an egomania. 1988, Nygaard's ex girlfriend. I just, I just sometimes just will just randomly like just laugh at just like, it's unbelievable how some people live their lives. Like how you can just do that and just not constantly think, I am such a piece of shit. No, just thinks he's a fucking cool guy. I, now, I'm, now I'm fantasying back on the fucking wedgie and having him eaten by sharks. I want to do that all over again. Uh, 1988, Nygaard's ex-girlfriend, Karina Paca, begins uh, child support proceedings. She wasn't happy with just the $300 in her toy and the flowers, apparently. (laughs) Fucking greedy. Uh, She uh, begins these proceedings against Nygaard for care of their son, Mika. Nygaard doesn't care for this, right? Again, he already gave her a little bit of money in a toy. That should have been enough to fully raise a child. I mean, he grew up in a fucking shed. If a shed was good good enough for him, it should be good enough for this spoiled fucking brat. Uh, Karina would claim that Nygaard said a court battle would mean he'd come to think of their son as nothing more than an expensive fuck. <laughs> Again, what a piece of shit. I wonder if he, like, if he saw the kid. Oh, hey, uh, you look familiar. Oh, wait, wait, I know you. You're expensive fuck. You're my son, ex- expensive fuck. Uh, she'd spend the next 15 years battling out with him in court. He'd fight it for 15 years. 1995, former Nygaard employee sues him for having sex with her against her will. Not sure why that just wasn't worded as rape since that's 
the definition of rape. This employee ends up signing an NDA, settles for an undisclosed amount of money, just buying off rape victims. Won't pay to have his kids taken care of, but will pay off rape victims. Maybe he had so many rape victims to pay off, he just didn't have money left over for raising the kids. Uh, June 22nd, 1996, the Winnipeg Free Press publishes an explosive cover story that reveals that several former Night Guard employees have made sexual harassment complaints against him to the Human Rights Commission. All of this happening before he ever gets into a pissing contest with Louis Bacon in the Bahamas. You know, who will try and later blame, of course, for smearing his great name, as we mentioned. And yes, I am now thinking about a young Kevin Bacon dancing his ass off in front of Nygaard's mansion. Uh, anyway, the accompanying photo in the Winnipeg Free Press was of Peter grinning and sporting a tuxedo. And the headline above it read, Ex-staff claim verbal abuse, humiliation, harassment. Uh, the article was a result of interviews with seven former and current employees, three of whom had recently filed sexual harassment claims against him. They were from as far as Toronto, Winnipeg, Los Angeles, and the Bahamas. And they painted a disturbing picture. They described how he screamed and swore at employees for hours, berating them over their work, humiliating them in front of coworkers. More than one said that he sexually assaulted them. Others claimed uh, they'd witnessed his sexual advances, unwanted sexual advances. One woman, Judy Shear, was Nygaard's communications manager. She said every time she went into his office, uh, his pants would be open, his hands in his underwear. She said it was particularly bad when she had to go on the road with him, especially to the Bahamas. Uh, it was there, she said, that she saw that he had no regard for women. He constantly made remarks about her breasts, wore a tiny red Speedo bathing suit at all times. Final straw for Judy came when she was told to go get something from a closet in Nygaard's office slash bedroom suite. She opened the closet door, saw a fax paper box filled with pornographic pictures of Nygaard and various women. She quit receiving a $6,000 payoff. Another woman that Nygaard targeted was, a, targeted was a young blonde named Allison Adams, recent graduate of Success Business College in Winnipeg. She was hired as a travel coordinator. One night while working late with Nygaard and some others, Allison said that she had to leave because she was uh, booked to sing with her band, JFK and the Conspirators, JFK and the Conspirators at a local dive uh, bar called Junkyard. Uh, solid band name, by the way. Uh, it surprised her when she saw Nygaard walk through the doors at her gig. He immediately kissed her on both cheeks, then also fondled her ass and suggested they find a dark corner somewhere. Let's go get busy. Thinking fast, Allison introduced Nygaard to her bandmates. Brother managed to slip away. But according to Allison, this made Nygaard angry. He blasted her as incompetent and then fired her. Another woman, Deborah Wagner, would be the woman in charge of an operation that would become central to Nygaard's pattern of sexual assault. She was Nygaard's personal assistant at his Marina Del Rey home out in, uh, you know, California, just south of, uh, southwest of LA. Uh, she had the task of organizing pamper days for Nygaard, bringing hairdressers, manicurists, masseuses to the house. She found out that the doors in the house were locked to keep women in respective bedrooms so they couldn't leave and mistakenly stumble on, into another woman's room. Soon these pamper days would morph into pamper parties where he'd treat young women around the globe to manicures, massages, hair appointments, and have them dress in short shorts, you know, crop tops, lots of spandex, skimpy bikinis. It wasn't just the women being pampered who were Nygaard's targets. One masseuse, Rochette Ross, was a single mom living with her two kids when she was contacted by a member of Nygaard's staff and hired for a session. As she massaged Nygaard, he suddenly demanded that she massage his, quote, third leg. She brushed it off. She was also hired for two more sessions. Soon her job evolved from massaging to coordinating these pamper parties, using Facebook posts and messages to promote these events, which offered free dinners, massages, pedicures, and boat rides. Then when night fell, Richette would say the parties went from seeming harmless to becoming very scary. Throughout the day, Nygaard would wander around, asking particular girls if they'd like to stay the night. Some of those who said no would then allegedly be drugged. Nygaard's bartenders would drop a pill into their drink while hiding between their fingers and later Rochette would find these girls crying naked and disoriented. 
How fucking extra gross that the bartenders would help him rape these women. And how extra fucking gross that Rochette continued to help. God, wonder, wonder if he let those bar, uh, bartenders rape, and, uh, rape some of the women as well. At least once, Rochette saw a girl escape from the property only to be brought back uh, by the police. Uh, Nygaard supposedly also assaulted Rochette. And she was giving him his regular coconut oil massage. A girlfriend of Nygaard's offered her a glass of wine. Rochette turned it down, but the woman insisted. After drinking it, Rochette said, Rochette said she began to feel warm, then lost consciousness. When she woke up, Nygaard was inside of her. She could see him hunched over in the mirror above. She kept working for him. Uh, wouldn't quit until 2014 after she alleges that he killed her dog. The New York Times found that Nygaard actually wired her $10,000 around the time he emailed Rochette, uh, writing, I sent you money to buy a new dog. I don't know if he uh, killed her or not, but uh, weird if he did. Uh, these pamper parties went on as recently as 2018. Probably went on until he was finally arrested and not allowed to pop back out of uh, uh, on bail. Back to the timeline, we're still in 1996 with the publication of the Winnipeg Free Press article alleging Nygaard's sexual harassment. According to the article, Nygaard had paid out $20,000 in settlements that year alone over sexual assault claims. From 1997 to 2000, Nygaard would date famous and famously voluptuous Playboy model Anna Nicole, uh, Anna Nicole Smith, off and on. When they first met in the late 1990s, uh, Anna was in her late 20s with a lot of cash from the 1995 death of her husband, petroleum mogul J. Howard Marshall, who had been in his 80s. Smith modeled for Nygaard's fashion line in between trips to Nygaard Key. Uh, he even put a blown-up photo of her in his N-Force jet. What an honor. Uh, 2000, one of Nygaard's exes, Karina Paca, demands $68,000 per month now in child support, <laughs> as well as uh, $5 million in retroactive payments. She's still, rightfully so, fucking pissed about that $300 toy, flowers, and then that's all you get. This would be the most child support ever ordered to be paid out in Canada at the time. Uh, if she were to win a judgment. Uh, her lawyer broke down the budget, which included $38,000 per year in vacation expenses, more than $900 per month for entertainment. Uh, by that time, Nygaard was pulling in more than $300 million in annual revenue, so he was he was good for it. Uh, also that year, Prince Andrew, Sarah Fergie Ferguson, and their daughters, Princess Beatrice and Princess uh, Eugenie, visited Nygaard Key. Wonder if, wonder if Andy snuck out of his bedroom to do any underage raping with his fuck buddy Nygaard. Uh, on the 4th of July, 2001, a woman identified as Jane Doe 1 in a later uh, lawsuit. Uh, civil suit was uh, hanging out at the local Bahamian, Bahamian mall with friends. She was only 14, had to come to uh, check out the recently opened Nygaard store there. When she went into the store, some models gave her a pair of pants to try on. But in the changing room, there were no curtains or doors. And when she began to change, three workers began taking pictures. The fuck are those people? Then Nygaard himself stepped into the room. Uh, he said that her pants were too big, offered to take measurements. Then he began rubbing her inner thighs. Uh, he's weeks away from turning 60 at this point also. Uh, he asked her what grade she was in. She responded that she was in ninth grade. Uh, he then told her she had the uh, body for modeling. Unwittingly, she gave him her phone number. Within a few days, she got a call from one of Nygaard's employees asking her to come to his home to discuss her modeling career. A white SUV picked her up. There were already uh, three girls in the back seat. Once at the house, Nygaard took her upstairs and the girl was initially excited to talk business until Nygaard told her to get comfortable and he put some porn on the TV, hardcore stuff depicting a man uh, rubbing literal shit over a woman's body. Then went to a closet and pulled out a dildo and KY jelly. He then asked her to put the dildo in his ass. Plot twist. Uh, afterward, uh, afraid, sorry, she did that while he masturbated. As she asked him to stop, he then began unzipping her dress, trying to open her legs. Uh, he held her hands pinned against the headboard as he penetrated her. And after she put on her clothes, a Nygaard employee handed her an envelope full of cash and then just took her home. 
Now, these fucking these fucking side characters disgust me as much as he does. Like, how how are they rationalizing this stuff? My guess is, you know, some version of the Nazis. Oh, I'm just you know following orders. Just do my just do my job. Just got bills to pay. <laughs> what am I supposed to do? Not not help my boss rape a fucking high school freshman. Uh, she would never meet up with Peter again. 2003, Nygaard throws a lavish Sweet 16 party for a woman named Bianca at Nygaard Key. Now he's 62, almost four times her age, but you know, age is just a number. Sometimes a very gross, creepy number. Uh, Peter commemorated the event by releasing a VHS tape of the party to the public. On the back of the VHS sleeve was a dedication he'd written to her. I want to be the first man you remember. I want to be the last man you forget. Happy Sweet 16. Not creepy at all. 2004, Nygaard reaches a child support agreement with Karina Paca. Right, finally. Her attorney said she was very happy with the confidential settlement. Must have been close to, uh, you know, that $5 million and $68,000 a month she wanted. Shortly after, Nygaard hires a lobbyist and launches a crusade against the country's divorce laws and their supposed discrimination against men. Come, I mean, come on. What am I supposed to do? Fucking help raise these kids? That, you know, where I'm out fucking, uh, look, I'm just trying to have a good time and do some raping. And then, you know, it's their fault that they choose to keep these kids. And what, I'm now I'm on the hook for the bill? Uh, publicly insists that the whole court process, uh, you know, wasn't a big deal with a rep telling a Canadian newspaper that Mr. Nygaard is always taking care of his children. Uh-huh. The newspaper would even include a quote from Bianca, Nygaard's daughter with Patricia Bickle, who was 17 at the time. And she'd say, our dad is always taking care of us. Uh, all, you know, t- always taking care of all of us kids, including Mika, uh, financially and otherwise. I wonder how much she was pressured to say that. I wonder if she was literally paid to say that. Uh, July of 2004, Nygaard is a judge for uh, Caribbean Flavor Top Model Search, a local reality show produced by End Times Media. I don't think it ever made it to the States here. Supermodel Beverly Peel would be a judge as well, and she would also later claim to be one of the mothers of Nygaard's now 10 children and also a sexual assault victim of Nygaard's. Uh, for the final episode, the girls that made the final cut were invited to a party at Nygaard Key. The show changed its name to uh, Bahamas Top Model the following year. Nygaard still judging. July 2008, Nygaard hosts, hosts a Playboy sh- photo shoot now. And the Race Girl International Swimsuit and Lingerie Model Search Finals. It's not an awesome title. At Nygaard Key. wonder how much uh, you know he paid to be a host of that. Guessing he bought his way onto a lot of these things. Uh, August of 2008, a woman identified as Jane Doe number 6 is invited to Nygaard Key uh, by a DJ named Shorts. Old DJ Shorts. Not very familiar with this catalog. Not sure he's ever really broken through into the U.S. music scene. I can only find one DJ Shorts on Spotify uh, in, a, in a track where DJ, Short, DJ Shorts worked with Bevanator. Track called UK. Literally one listen. Zero monthly followers. Dude won't even follow himself. Uh, despite being 15 years old, Jane Doe, number six, given multiple alcoholic beverages within minutes of meeting Peter Nygaard. He spins her around and says, nice ass. Then he leads her to his bedroom. Tells her he's looking for some weed. And uh, they should smoke together. Once there, he starts undressing her, then rapes her vaginally as she asks him to stop. After he's done, he tells her to take a handful of cash, which she refuses. And then she leaves Nygaard Key never to return. He is 67 now. Age does not seem to be slowing down his raping abilities. Not fucking with his libido. Uh, November 6, 2009, Nygaard opens a massive concept store in Times Square. Uh, glad to see all this raping isn't really getting in the way of him growing his wealth. He opened the uh, store despite the fact that North America was steadily enduring a recession, which began in December of 2009, wouldn't end until June of 2009. The giant poster in front of the store taunted pedestrians. We decided not to join the recession. (laughs) Sorry you're having a recession. We're still fucking rich. (laughs) Come on and buy a shirt. Get a blouse. Press releases issued by Nygaard's company bragged that the company had grown more than 25% in recent months, surpassing a billion dollars in revenue. Things could not be going better for this piece of shit. 
I'm sure he felt invincible. However, unbeknownst to Nygaard, a storm is brewing. Reporters for the Canadian Broadcasting Company, or CBC, are quietly speaking with former Nygaard employees about their experiences working for him. A reporter even shows up at the grand opening of that concept store in New York, November 6th. Also that same month, an electrical fire nearly destroys Nygaard Key, making it completely uninhabitable. Oh man, bummer. Wooden portions of the northern and southwestern sections extensively damaged, as well as the beach. No, not not King Shit's precious mind, fuck Temple House Place Kingdom. Despite these problems, to the outside world, Nygaard, you know, richer than ever. Uh, Forbes will crown, will crown him as a polyester phenom. His net worth said to be nearly $900 million. Shortly after, he'll possibly push it up to a billion or more. I mean, he did end up wearing a t-shirt saying he was a billionaire. Uh, at his peak, the Nygaard Empire had more than 170 dedicated stores in North America, plus 6,000 installations at other department stores. They had a million square feet of distribution space across the continent, shopping uh, or shipping more than 20 million pieces of clothing out every year. Total annual revenue, you know, yeah, again, top billion dollars. Uh, his company had more than 15,000 employees with offices in New York, LA, Toronto, Winnipeg, Shanghai, and more. December of 2009, Nygaard falls a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court against the CBC, claiming that their uninvited reporter had recorded his restricted event and had therefore committed copyright infringement. He claimed that reporters had harassed many of his employees at their homes in an attempt to get them to participate against his brand. Uh, you know, a rep for Nygaard claimed that the CBC improperly conspired with and encouraged employees to release confidential information, uh, to the, including passenger lists from private jets and confidential emails. The ultimate goal, of course, was, to, was silence and intimidation. Nygaard's attorneys said that they hoped to prevent the CBC and the former employees from disclosing, divulging, conveying to any person or entity Nygaard's confidential information and from encouraging or inducing any existing or former Nygaard employees from doing so. In response, Richard Kravetsky, an attorney for one of the defendants, said that Nygaard was suing former employees for telling the truth. Another Richard. I just feel like there's always a Richard in every single episode. Uh, reminds me of Epstein in, uh, in- intimidating law enforcement and accusers in Florida. That month, Nygaard International Partnership also files an application in San Jose, California, attempting to subpoena Google over a comment on a blog. Nygaard wanted to force them to reveal the identity of someone who posted about him being a sexual predator on a blog on November 12th of that year. April 9th, 2010, the CBC series Fifth Estate airs the episode Larger Than Life, all about Peter Nygaard. It was a victory for the CBC with the show's TV guide summary reading, over the years, Peter Nygaard's image as a public figure has been carefully crafted. The self-made man, the corporate visionary, the Olympic athlete. I don't know about him being an Olympic athlete. Uh, the philanthropist with awards declaring him an exemplary Canadian, all part of the Nygaard brand. But for some who worked with him inside his company, behind that public image, there's another Peter Nygaard. What happened to them raises issues that are often hidden by silence and secrecy about workplace bullying and harassment and the toll they take. The show made it clear people buying Nygaard clothing were supporting mismanagement, illegal business practices, and possibly sex with underage women. It's well done. Uh, I didn't watch it all. I don't, I don't know what, what fucking Olympic thing they're referencing there, but I watched some snippets and, you know, like the CBC, like the BBC in the UK, they produce a lot of, a lot of quality stuff, in my opinion. Uh, the documentary's biggest claim came from a couple that had previously worked for Nygaard and Nygaard Key, Alan and Michelle May. The Mays sued Nygaard for withheld wages in 2005, and several clips of the uh, depositions were included in the documentary, including one that showed uh, him admitting to business practices like fining employees, uh, which is you're not supposed to do. Taking money out of employees' wages is illegal in the Bahamas, but Nygaard did it anyway, taking away money for what you know he perceived as lapses in job performances. Uh, one employee was fined 25 bucks for leaving a dirty glass at a beachside cabana. 
In another incident, a Nygaard key employee was fined 25 bucks because someone found several tiny mosquitoes in an area he'd asked to not have mosquitoes in. Fucking crazy. Uh, also, this is a great way to sexually intimidate employees, you know, for somebody like him. Do what I want or see a smaller check. Uh, there was another major issue with Nygaard's employees, immigration. 13 men were arrested by immigration in the Bahamas in 2003 en route to work at Nygaard Key. Nygaard, in the depositions, insisted he didn't know about their illegal status. Uh, but the biggest bombshell from Alan and Michelle May was the information that Nygaard had allegedly flown in an underage Dominican girl to be his, quote, birthday present at a party. The May said on air that they later found the underage girl panicked and screaming and that she had clearly been sexually assaulted. Fuck. Of course, Nygaard denied all of this. He also uh, would drag CBC, its reporters and former employees through the courts for the next several years, going as far as uh, to hiring an ex-Scotland Yard investigator to try and dig up secrets on the network. On April 14, 2010, that reminds me of, yeah, Epstein uh, intimidating, you know, law enforcement and others, uh, you know, lawyers and such, the courts down in Florida. Uh, April 14, 2010, the National Labor Committee issues a press release accusing Nygaard of producing his clothes, clothes in a Jordanian sweatshop. The bombshell headline reads, Women's clothing lines from Nygaard slash Dillard's, JCPenney, and Walmart linked to human trafficking in Jordan's sweatshop. According to the article, some of Nygaard's clothing was produced at the International British Garments Factory, located about an hour outside of Amman, uh, Amman, Jordan. At least 75% of the workers were women, and all of them, the NLC claimed, had been trafficked to Jordan, stripped of their passports, and held under conditions of indentured servitude, where they had to work 23-hour shifts at least once a week, for which they were paid just 35 cents an hour. Uh, Nygaard rep, of course, claimed that a government inquiry found no truth to the allegations. June 2011, another woman identified as Jane Doe, 14-year-old girl, enters the Miss Teen Bahamas Galaxy Beauty Pageant competition in hopes of launching a modeling career. Didn't have enough money for the fees, so someone offered to put her in touch with Nygaard. Sweet, who was well-known for his charity work. An employee for the company replied that there weren't any scholarships, but the girl's mother persisted, and eventually the girl became close with Peter's daughter, Bianca. In June, the mother and daughter were invited over to Nygaard Key for a pamper party. They'd be invited back for another one in August, but this time, just the daughter, right? That Not a red flag at all. Uh, she'd caught Nygaard's eye. The mother wouldn't let her daughter go alone, so they went together, got a pedicure, and went home. But then two weeks later, Nygaard employees sent the girl another personal invite to another party through her uh, WhatsApp. Just her, right? No mom. No mom. It's going to be fine. Nothing shady. Just fucking just keep your mom out of this. At the party, someone mentions that Nygaard will uh, probably give her a sponsorship to enter the beauty pageants. She goes to talk to him. He offers her a glass of wine. Uh, pretty soon, she said she'd had four. Then the bartender came over with a big bag of pills and a Ziploc bag. Who the fuck are these bartenders? What? <laughs> What kind of questions were asked on job applications to bartend for Peter Nygaard? Uh, are you either an actual demon or demon-like in your behavior and character? Uh, would you be willing to help kids get raped if you would say, get an extra tip for it? Do you have a soul at all, even a shred of a soul? No? <laughs> You're perfect. You're hired. Uh, Nygaard supposedly showed her the pills, said they uh, would help her become a model, that all models took them. She downs some and then becomes dizzy. Then Nygaard... You know, uh, looking out for her as a 70-year-old grandfatherly type he is now, brings her to his bedroom to lay down. Uh, and then, you know, when he returns, you now he goes to do some stuff, you know, takes her to the bedroom, then he comes, he goes to do some stuff, he returns, uh, like a lot of grandpas are known to do. He's he's now holding a dildo in his hands. Probably just gonna use it to help keep track of what line of print he's on, you know, when he's reading some sweet, innocent bedtime story, like a lot of grandpas are known to do with their grandpa dildos. Uh, he then takes off her pants in a very comforting grandpa-like way. 
and tries to put the sex toy inside of her, also as a sweet grandpa is wont to do, uh, at which point she blacks out. When she wakes up, she notices Nygaard sleeping behind her. There's blood on the fucking sheets, right? She's clearly been sexually assaulted, obviously. She was being sexually assaulted before she blacked out. Before she leaves, he hands her $5,000. And then she's driven back to a mall and a bus with a picture of Nygaard's face on it. How fun. This guy's, this guy's a fucking demon. He's just a fucking rape demon. Uh, hoping that her sacrifice hadn't been for nothing, she returns several uh, to several more pamper parties. This poor kid, uh, where similar events go down. He does finally make her a model for Nygaard Slims in 2015, but instead of continuing her modeling career, he turns her into a recruiter to bring other girls to Nygaard Key, right? Again, reminding me of Epstein. She would, she would even end up drugging some of these girls for him. God, ah, oh, it's fucking so messy. Then finally, during a pamper party in February of 2017, he insists that she uh, either shit or urinate in his mouth. Showbiz! Uh, not making that up. And for some reason, this is the last straw for her and she leaves and never returns. I would think she would be overjoyed at that opportunity. What a great way to kind of get back at him for some of what he did, you know, take a shit in his mouth, especially a big one. But he'd probably get off on it. I guess that would take a bit of the victory out of that act, wouldn't it? I mean, that would really suck if someone had done a bunch of horrible stuff to you and then you're able to like kidnap them later and you fucking, you tie them up and you start to torture them uh, just to find out that they enjoy it. You know, you torture them and you're just like, mm, oh, 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 mm, harder. The fuck are you doing? No, this isn't fun. I'm gonna stomp on your fucking nuts now. Oh, 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 oh. Knock it off. I'm gonna take a blowtorch to your nipples. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, daddy like it hot, 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 hot. Dude, fucking quit it. Now I'm gonna shove a broom handle up your ass. And I'm gonna shit on your face. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> fucking nightmare. Also, in June of 2011, Nygaard sexually assaults two women identified as Jane Doe number three, Jane Doe number four, uh, two cousins who had come to Nygaard Key for a pamper party. They're fucking 14 and 15 years old. Oh, this guy's like the fucking terminator of rapes. He just uh, just doesn't slow down, just doesn't stop. He's just keeping, get, getting older, keeps doing the same thing. August 4th, uh, 2011, workers at the Nang or Nan Quang Garment Factory in Cambodia, uh, which produced Nygaard clothes, uh, walk out over poor conditions. Documentary crew would interview a young worker who said she was 15. She would tell them that a typical work schedule was 10 to 12 hours a day, six days a week. Uh, workers made about 30 bucks a month with no paid six leave. With no paid six leave. Sick leave, for fuck's sake. Uh, when approached about these claims, Nygaard reps say that there's only so much they can do about their production partner's facilities. Uh-huh. You can, you can not use them. Uh, surprised Nygaard didn't fly over there personally to uh, rape some of these workers in a twisted effort to boost morale or something. Maybe throw him some pamper party orgies. 2012, Nygaard files a defamation suit against the CBC, right, using his money to fight the truth. Between 2012 and 2013, Nygaard deposits more than 90000 into the Miami bank account of Bahamas Minister of Immigration and Labor, Shane Gibson. Donations are marked services or travel. Donations, not bribes. Nygaard is a generous donator. And he doesn't do this to have officials look the other way while he roofies and rapes teens at his mind, fuck temple, you know, fucking house, place, kingdom orgy shed. Gosh dang. Uh, when confronted, Gibson said that they were campaign donations as well as financial contributions to community programs like scholarships for local students. Yeah, the scholarships for teens. Come over to King Shit's compound. Uh, let him roof you. Inspect your colon, throat, and vagina with his evil weenus. Make sure everything's tip-top shape for college, and then you get $5,000 in cash in a, a scholarship. What a cool opportunity. Uh, Shane's brother, Eric, also paid by the Nygaard companies throughout his uh, this period. Checks to him total more than $100,000. Uh, 
The corrupt PLP party, right, rolls to victory. 2012, Nygaard celebrates by releasing a video titled Nygaard Takes the Bahamas Back, which uh, shows him popping bottles at Nygaard Key. Another clip features him shaking the hands of various government ministers on the beach outside of his mansion. Cool, 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 cool. Wonder how many of them came over to his parties to fuck some kids. Uh, even Prime Minister Perry Christie will be photographed at the property on a, at a party, September 5th, 2012. Uh, Nygaard quickly uh, cashes in on some uh, political favors just two weeks after the election. He obtains a permit to lease additional property so he can rebuild Nygaard Key and develop uh, a stem cell facility now. Yep, here we fucking go. Now time for the real crazy shit that feeds Illuminati conspiracies. Nygaard was way into stem cells. He was into anything that could possibly prevent aging. Maybe that's why he's uh, supposed he asked that one girl to uh, piss her shit in his mouth. Uh, showbiz. That's how you do it in Hollywood. Piping hot peanut butter uh, with a side of warm apple cider. That'll keep you young. Uh, does eating teen poop help you not age? I don't know. Anyway, stem cells, we've talked about them before, can be guided into becoming specific cells that can be used in people to regenerate and repair tissues that have been damaged or affected by disease. Uh, can they make you younger? No, they technically cannot. Not currently. Uh, can they theoretically turn the clock back, though, on your organs and tissues in a way that basically does give you a younger body? Yes. With our current knowledge of stem cells, it's technically feasible to delay aging and improve both health and lifespan. Stem cells can play a crucial role in delaying the aging process. Stem cells in combination with anti-aging genes can create a sophisticated shield, which can prevent uh, many of the effects of aging. You know, at least to slow them down. Obsessed with his own longevity, uh, for many years, Nygaard, before his stem cell treatments, had been giving himself testosterone shots, you know, every other day. In interviews, he would talk about the virtues of exercise, healthy eating. Uh, he was taking about 50 pills a day, vitamins, supplements, pharmaceuticals. Uh, what is it that I'm working on? Getting younger, he'd say. Now Nygaard launches Nygaard Biotech, uh, billing this as a tourist attraction for uh, the Bahamas, for uh, creepy old fucks who want to stay young and rape teens. Well, he didn't market it exactly that way. He marketed it as a posh anti-aging retreat center based around stem cell rejuvenation. But there was one problem. Laws in the Bahamas did not allow for stem cell research. So he fixed that. August of 2013, Bahamas Prime Minister Perry Christie announces the Stem Cell Therapy and Research Bill in Parliament. Christie made no secret it was due to Peter Nygaard. On the floor of Parliament, he said, I just want you to know that stem cell legislation will be passed by us today. God bless Peter Nygaard. This will backfire on him. His association with Nygaard will draw harsh criticism and eventually push him out of power. Political opponents attack him for his close ties with Nygaard, equating Nygaard to a John who hires services from Christie like one would a sex worker. Uh, accurate. March 2nd, 2014, Peter Nygaard allegedly sexually assaults Courtney Stodden, then 19. You remember her? Uh, Courtney Stodden became a celebrity at just 16 when she married 51-year-old Green Mile actor Doug Hutchinson. She met Nygaard at his uh, 2014 Night of 100 Stars Oscar viewing party. As he took a photo together on the red carpet, he fondled her breast. She said she escaped that night, but then he started texting her almost every day, asking her to please come to Nygaard Key. Come alone. Luckily, Stodden's mom intervened and helped her, uh, you know, from going to get uh, further assaulted. Another Jane Doe, Jane Doe number eight, was an employee at Nygaard Key from 2008 to 2014. Her duties were driving to pick up girls who didn't have a ride to pamper parties, hosting the parties, uh, recruiting other women, taking care of the house, etc. She thought she was safe personally until 2014 when one of Nygaard's girlfriends offered her a glass of wine. And she suddenly felt tired and nauseous after drinking it. When she woke up, Nygaard was penetrating her. As he raped her, Jane Doe number eight saw three girlfriends walk in, witness what was happening. None of them told Nygaard to stop. Uh, that day she ran off, but she knew she'd have to come back to Nygaard Key because she was financially dependent on her job there, she said. Nygaard told her later not to take it personally and said that if she refused sex with him in the future, she would be fired. What an unbelievable cocky piece of shit. 
Listen, kid. Ah, don't take it personally. This is this is just what the Nygaard does. It's it's my brand, baby. I, I drug kids, women, I fuck them, you know? It's no big deal. It has nothing to do with you. You were just hot and close by, and I was horny and had some drugs, and you, you know, you, you got fucked. You, you got Nygaarded. Now get out there and fetch me some more girls before you get fired. Uh, she eventually left her job, and he got into uh, no trouble for this. In March of 2015, Nygaard makes a presentation at the St. Kitts Biomedical Research Foundation's Strategy Conference on Reverse Aging Treatments. He'd uh, moved on to St. Kitts for his stem cell project because the Bahamian, Bahamian government established a regulatory ethics committee that would decide who could open stem cell businesses on the island. And the ethics committee would meet in January and June to determine uh, whose application would be accepted, taking it out of the hands of local politicians. So Nygaard didn't feel like fucking with them and it was off to St. Kitts. Ironically, St. Kitts, only about 150 miles from Jeffrey Epstein's Pedo Island. Report on Nygaard's, uh, maybe that's not ironic, just coincidentally. Uh, report on Nygaard's presentation noted that in, uh, initial testing would need to be done on monkeys. And St. Kitts had uh, an abundant population of monkeys. Next year, 2016, Timothy Harris, Prime Minister of St. Kitts, grants Nygaard three rooms at the Joseph N. France General Hospital to do stem cell research and treatment. Uh, but they rushed the process and they didn't tell the chief medical officer, Dr. Patrick Martin. And when Dr. Martin discovers what was going on, he's furious. He stumbled upon the private ward one day, found out that doctors weren't keeping any medical records for their patients, nor were they licensed to practice medicine in St. Kitts. Almost immediately after raising alerts about Nygaard's project, Dr. Martin is then ordered to go on vacation. Weird. Then he receives a notice that demands his retirement. Huh, wonder if someone got bribed. Before being forced out of the medical profession, he was able to get that research lab shut down though. And embarrassingly for Nygaard, one of his patients was outed, uh, Kentucky billionaire Richard Weston. Again, so many fucking Richards. <laughs> why, why is it there's always a dick or two in these stories? Uh, shortly before coming to St. Kitts, he was named uh, the title secretary of an American nonprofit called the Nygaard Stem Cell Genomic Foundation. Uh, oh, man. I forgot to put, I, I was so confident about uh, uh, genome. It is genome, uh, right, Logan? Yeah. Okay. I still have uh, fucking uh, uh, mispronunciation PTSD. I'm still like, oh, God, is it genome? No, it's genome. It is genome. Okay. Yeah, Nygaard Stem Cell Genomic Foundation. Uh, the, the organizer never reported any income or assets. Uh, was dissolved in 2017. So he's just, you know, he's creating little companies and doing different things to, uh, to try and get his stem cell operation off the ground. Following the lab shutdown, the press speculated about what had been going on behind closed doors, that former masseuse Nygaard, uh, a former masseuse Nygaard allegedly assaulted, God, and killed her dog, Richard Rochette Ross. Words are tough sometimes. Uh, would say in an interview that Nygaard had used stem cells from an umbilical cord, umbilical less syllables, cord, uh, belonging to a baby that he had fathered. Uh, he would then use those stem cells to try and cure his own ailments like a, a knee injury that had been bothering him for a while. Uh, Sulin Medeiros claims that she was almost Nygaard's stem cell donor, right, to give this more credence. In her 2014 memoir, she detailed how uh, she met him in Kiev, Ukraine, where Nygaard was doing stem cell research. She was interested in biotechnology because her mom suffered from lupus. Nygaard asked her, you know, what she thought of this idea. What if... He gets her pregnant. Then what if she has an abortion so they could then uh, use the fetus's embryonic cells to help him and her and her mom. And you give her a lot of money, which is fucking bonkers of true. What an absolutely insane proposition. Like, how do you work that into a conversation? So, uh, man, these, uh, these cocktails are it's fantastic. I mean, the bartender, whoo, such a mixologist. You don't, you don't see drinks on the menu with the uh, roofies in them, you know, like back home, but, but still it's quality stuff. And uh, God, you're gorgeous. Those eyes. Beautiful green eyes. I can get lost in those eyes, you know, and fall in love and make love to you and 
come inside of you as many times as it takes to get you pregnant and make a beautiful little baby, half me, half you. And then we could fucking kill that baby and we could harvest its cells to, to grow healthier and younger. Let's, let's do it. Let's make a baby. And then, you know, in a, in a roundabout way, let's fucking kind of eat that fucking baby. Uh, Madero said she refused this offer. But she'll later be named as a co-conspirator in his sex trafficking uh, ring. So who knows if she's telling the truth. 2017, life starts to fall apart for King shit, finally. In May, the Nygaard-backed PLP party is eviscerated in a lopsided landslide election by an electorate fed up with corruption and insider dealings. In July, Clean Clothes Campaign uh, announces that workers in in the Nygaard factory in Cambodia are demanding roughly half a million dollars in back pay. Following September, the uh, Bahamian authorities seized Nygaard Key over Nygaard's failure to pay nearly $3 million in legal fees in one lawsuit. Don't dredge the sea floor. That's the line. You crossed it. He pays a $2.6 million settlement in November of 2018 to get Nygaard Key back. But then January of 2019, he's effectively banned from the country when a warrant is issued for his arrest. Uh, July 2019, the Royal Bahamian Police Force receive a rape allegation against Peter Nygaard. There's a new government in town and they're done looking the other way. They take this allegation seriously. January 22nd, 2020, former Nygaard employee Maridel Carbuccia sues Nygaard over sexual assault or sexual harassment claims in the U.S. According to Maridel, she was living in Florida in 2015, met Nygaard through a mutual friend. She'd recently resigned from her job at 13 years as a corporate treasurer to take care of her son who was suffering from seizures. Nygaard was impressed by her corporate background, offered for her to come on as a treasurer slash controller slash project manager. But then one day, after she toured a facility in L.A., the now 74-year-old horn dog all pumped up on testosterone and stem cells, maybe adrenochrome or who the fuck knows what else, suddenly shows his true colors. He grabs her ass. When she backs away, he immediately apologizes. Says it won't happen again. So she moves to California, uh, thinking that she's beginning a career path filled with bonuses, cushy stipends, other luxurious amenities. Later, she'll think that he hired her and moved her to California just to fuck her. Uh, one day in April 2016, her lawsuit claimed she was going about her daily duties at the Marina Del Rey office slash house when suddenly Nygaard emerges completely naked. And he supposedly said, nothing is free in this world. So creepy. Uh, she left the office, returned to work later. Nygaard, oddly, seemed totally fine. Like he'd never emerged naked earlier and said some creepy movie villain line. Uh, at some point, he now offers her a drink. Mm-hmm. This guy's like Epstein mixed with Bill Cosby. When she began to pass out, he leads her to the bedroom. The next morning, she wakes up to find blood on her skin and clothes. She knew she'd been drugged and violently raped. Uh, but because she'd taken this job and upended her old life, she did stay. The U.S. government will soon seize this property. It's alleged that he uh, raped multiple women at this Marina Del Rey address. Perhaps dozens. Uh, July 2016, Nygaard's housekeeper went on a leave of absence and uh, he asked Maridel to fill in. Soon she found out that her job included inviting women to fucking more pamper parties at the Marina Del Rey address. Uh, he gave her lists of women, even had her check them and, uh, in at the door. She'd resigned that December. Nygaard then launched a campaign to get her back. And in February of 2017, she did agree to meet at his house. This is also dirty and gross. At the meeting, she was surprised to see Nygaard now wearing an adult diaper. He looked pale, explained he'd recently undergone surgery. He said, uh, you don't even have to worry about me. I'm no longer sexually active. I'm not going to touch you again if you want to come back uh, at your previous salary. She was in a desperate financial situation and does agree and then, of course, soon regrets it. January 22nd, 2018, Nygaard grabs Meridel's breast, supposedly, tries to fondle them. So, you know, he's still got some uh, life in him. She was pregnant at the time and he asked her if uh, it was true about pregnant women that they uh, wanted to, to fuck more, you know? Soon after the meeting, Meridel miscarries and he eventually fires her in 2018. 
Just five days after Meridale's lawsuit, January 27, 2020, uh, the Bahamas newspaper, The Tribune, reports that Nygaard has been sued by a, another Jane Doe who claims that he had sex with her against her will at his Marina Del Rey home when she was a minor. January 31st. To 2020. Famed attorney Gloria All, uh, Allred's firm, Allred, Morocco, and Goldberg, files an amended complaint on behalf of Meridale Cabuccia, increasing the desired amount of restitution. February 13th, 10 Jane Doe's file a suit against Nygaard in New York City for rape and sex trafficking. In full, the suit accuses him of rape, sexual assault, sex trafficking, sodomy, corruption, and more. They demand a jury trial, damages, and payment of legal fees. Mostly, they're just demanding to be heard. According to their attorneys, Nygaard recruited, lured, and enticed young, impressionable, often impoverished children and women with cash payments, false promises of lucrative modeling opportunities to assault, rape, and sodomize him. He was doing this shit all over the place, right? Just like Epstein, New York, LA, Toronto, Winnipeg, the Bahamas, who knows where else? Oh man, had a lot of people helping him. The lawsuit further claimed that staffers from an entire department of his company, the corporate communications coordinators, were tasked with stalking his parties with potential victims. Employees would scope out streets, malls, Facebook to find pretty young girls. Jesus Christ. Nygaard's database of women was hosted on the corporate server and maintained by the company's IT department. Employees wrote messages back and forth to each other about uh, which girls they were trying to get come to the parties. What a fucking dark thing to be wrapped up in. According to the lawsuit, once Nygaard had found and sometimes drugged his victim, he'd bring her to his bedroom where a security guard would then stand outside with instructions not to let anyone out or in unless Nygaard personally gave permission. So many people involved in this. So many people willing to stand aside, let women be raped as long as they got a paycheck. Wonder where all those people are now. Wonder if any listen to the show. Wonder if some of you listening know some of these people or work with them. Sometimes when girls were flown in, he even took their passports, refusing to, uh, you know, give them back unless he, uh, they had sex with him. Often uh, victims were allowed to leave after one night, but sometimes they weren't. According to the lawsuit, the victims that Nygaard found the most attractive and sexually desirable were forced through a combination of fraud coercion, psychological force and manipulation and physical force to become full-time sex workers, which he referred to as his girlfriends. These women were led to believe that they would be traveling with Nygaard as models on glamorous fashion tours. Eventually, they would learn that they were only there to cater to Nygaard's every sexual need. They had to attend to him 24 hours a day, and he regularly forced them to go with him to swingers clubs in New York. Stuff like that. They'd be uh, tasked with finding new recruits, Nygaard telling them the younger the better. Five days later, February 18th, 2020, lawyers in the New York Jane Doe suits announced that in the week following the filing of their complaint, they had been contacted by more than a hundred previously unknown victims and witnesses. These news stories of rape, violence, sodomy, and confinement span over four decades with the women coming from Canada, the U.S., and the Bahamas. February 22nd, the New York Times publishes a long report about the sexual assault allegations against Nygaard after speaking with more than 270 people claiming to either have experienced or witnessed abuse. The list keeps growing. How many hundreds uh, are afraid or too ashamed to come forward? The February article even mentions that the FBI had looked into Nygaard twice. Even more shocking, it revealed that uh, there had been a nine-month-long investigation by the Department of Homeland Security into Nygaard's sex trafficking activities. Article also revealed that Nygaard had possibly been abusing children as young as 10. A woman named Marvinique Smith said Nygaard had sodomized her at the age of 10 after he led her to believe they'd be watching cartoons in the bedroom. Motherfucker. Again, I think about the fantasy. I think about just fucking playing this music and just feeding him to sharks. Ah, just ripping his fucking hair off his head. February twifth, uh, 25th, twiff? February twiff. Uh, the, the rarely celebrated holiday, February twiff. No, February 25th, 2020. Uh, FBI agents, NYPD officers, members of the U.S. Attorney's Office for the Southern District of New York swarmed Nygaard's Times Square headquarters 
with a search warrant. According to reports, he'd been under investigation for six months as part of a joint child exploitation task force run out of the U.S. Attorney's Office in New York. Nygaard's reps would say, Nygaard welcomes the federal investigation, expects his name to be cleared. He has not been charged, is not in custody, and is participating with the investigation. Uh, But for the victims named in the lawsuit, it was a victory. And in the weeks that followed, their attorneys would hear from more than 100 new witnesses and dozens of additional victims. Back in the Caribbean, uh, the Royal Bahamas Police Force Commissioner Anthony Ferguson confirms that his officers have also launched an active investigation into Nygaard. Almost immediately after the raid, Dillard's, one of Nygaard's biggest distributors, announces that they are fucking done with his clothing. That's when you've almost hit rock bottom in the fashion world, when Dillard's is like, fucking done with you. If JCPenney also won't carry your shit, that's probably actual rock bottom. Uh, Peter Nygaard himself would now step down immediately as chairman of Nygaard Companies and divest his ownership. But a judge would later announce that there was no evidence that Nygaard had stepped down and that he still owned 100% of his shares. March 6th, Times follows up with another art- article on Nygaard, this one dealing with harassment they've been uh, dealt since publishing the first piece, right? His goons are coming after them. March 10th, 2020, the Nygaard group of companies announces that they'll be filing a notice of intention to file a proposal under the Canadian Bankruptcy and Insolvency Act. This notice of intention allows financially troubled institutions to restructure their affairs, allows companies to prevent bankruptcy by protecting the company for 30 days from creditors once filed. Uh, March 11th, the Winnipeg Free Press reports that Nygaard employees have been directed to begin preserving all internal documents. March, 6th, March 13th, a Canadian judge orders Nygaard's companies to pay back a $25 million loan to American lenders White Oak Financial LLC and Second Avenue Capital Partners within seven days. They'd lend the company uh, almost $28 million in 2019 on the contingent that Nygaard uh, hired a financial advisor, but then that never happened. March 18th, Canadian judge places several of Nygaard's companies into receivership, which gives full control of the companies and their finances to an outside firm. He's starting to lose things. April 20th, 36 new women join a class action suit, bringing the total number of plaintiffs in the sexual assault case to close uh, to, sorry, 46. June 17th, it's it's, uh, reported that 11 more women join the class action lawsuit. Now the uh, total number of plaintiffs in this suit is 57. July 9th, Nygaard files a motion to dismiss the claims of 52 of the plaintiffs, stating that numerous deficiencies barred their claims, and in particular that the claims of the uh, uh, 50 of the plaintiffs lacked connection to New York. He also argued that the statute of limitations had expired for 38 of the plaintiffs. August 17th, Nygaard sued by two of his own fucking sons now on accusations of directing a known sex worker uh, said to be their girlfriend to rape them. Fucking walls are closing on King's shit. August 22nd, it's reported that the class action suit had been placed on hold, the U.S. government having requested a stay of proceedings while the criminal investigation is ongoing. December 15th, 2020, reported that talent agent Jonathan Barham, the Warren and Barham Management, L- or of the Warren and Barham Management LLC agency, uh, an Instagram model, Sulin Medeiros, she has over 4 million followers, uh, named as alleged co-conspirators in Peter Nygaard's alleged sex trafficking scheme in two separate lawsuits. So many uh, suits. According to one claim against Su- uh, Sulin, Waged by one alleged Nygaard rape victim, Medeiros was an employee of Nygaard International on paper, the clothing company headquartered in Times Square, but she was really a sex worker. Attorney Lisa Haba, in a suit filed in the Southern District of Florida, wrote, her job was to have sex with Nygaard and recruit and lure other young women to have sex with or be raped, sexually assaulted, or sexually battered by Nygaard. In an exchange for her services, Medeiros was handsomely rewarded with cash, plastic surgery, stem cell injections, uh, jewelry, and four luxury cars, including a DeLorean. That day, news also broke that Nygaard had been arrested in Winnipeg for extradition to the U.S. to face charges of sex trafficking. Finally, 
Only took until he was fucking 79. Only took almost 50 years after his first known alleged rape. Uh, he'd be denied bail uh, and face extradition on February 5th, 2021. Uh, even uh, Nygaard's children, some of them, are now coming forward to help his accusers. Kai Bickle, 38 in 2021, would spend two years offering support to victims and working with prosecutors. Uh, Kai turned on his father in 2019 after he claimed he saw Nygaard behaving appropriately with the eight-year-old daughter of one of Nygaard's many girlfriends. Eight now. Quote, uh, he's got the eight-year-old sitting right next to him at dinner which is usually his girlfriend's chair. He's trying to act like Papa. It was just weird. I'm noticing that he's telling her little secrets at dinner, putting his hand close to her ear, going all hush-hush. He said at the end of the dinner, most of the guests left the table to play cards, but Nygaard and the girl stayed, so so did Kai to keep an eye on him. He said uh, her chair gets pushed back. He brings her around to him. She's on his right side. He brings her to his left side with his arm around her waist. I see his elbow change and start moving as if, it looked to me I couldn't see, but it looked like his hand was on her upper thigh and rubbing. Everything in my body told me he was doing something terrible. Kai immediately alerted the girl's mother, uh, and then he confronted his father. Nygaard denied wrongdoing, called Kai sick, uh, but the son had seen enough and left. In the months that followed, Kai used his influence over various Nygaard companies to block two apparent efforts to move assets offshore because he feared his father might try and flee justice. He said, uh, he has become my arch nemesis. I no longer regard him as my father. And good for him. That's some strong shit to stand up to you, uh, to your dad, to denounce your own father because you know he's a fucking monster. So hail Kyle, hail Kai Bickle. Uh, on February 18th, 2021, it was reported that a new lawsuit had been filed by one of the class action plaintiffs, which named Peter Nygaard's niece, Angela Dyborn, as an alleged co-conspirator in the alleged sex trafficking scheme. Man, he'd be denied bail for a second time in March. Uh, then on so we never get never did get extradited. He's uh he's uh still in Canada in jail. On October first, twenty twenty one, Peter Nygaard agrees to be extradited to the U.S. to face charges against him. But then that same day, he's charged by Toronto police with six counts of sexual assault and three counts of forcible confinement there. On December second, twenty twenty one, it's reported that Nygaard would face charges by Winnipeg police following a ten month investigation into allegations of sexual assault from eight women against him in Winnipeg. Finally, all coming crashing down around him. Uh, as recently as June 15th, 2022, reported that Nygaard faces two new charges in uh, Toronto. In Toronto, Nygaard now accused of eight counts of sexual assault, uh, along with three counts of forcible confinement. Uh, one new charge dates further back than the others in Toronto between April and September of 1986. Other new charge uh, is uh, from 1994. Nygaard's next court appearance scheduled for June 29th. He's now 80 years old. He's in a Winnipeg jail cell. Right. He's got Winnipeg. Uh, they want him. Toronto. They want him. Uh, they want him in New York. Uh, they might want him soon in the Bahamas. Uh, he's supposedly not doing well. His properties in the U.S. have been seized. Nygaard Key fallen in disrepair. Uh, Kevin Bacon won the feud in the end, which is fucking awesome uh, to celebrate. He recently danced in the streets right in front of Nygaard Key. You and me, we should be dancing in the streets. And I know now that that song is actually dancing in the sheets. But until hours ago, I had thought it was streets. <laughs> I thought it was streets of the, from the 80s until a couple hours ago. That's why I wanted to play a little bit of it. And it's still a good song. So there you go. Uh, Lewis Bacon, no, did win the feud. God, you knew that though. Uh, Nygaard can't, uh, can't keep pumping himself full of testosterone in prison. Can't uh, uh, inject stem cells into him anymore. No more uh, wealthy, youth-obsessed man diets. No more dozens of vitamins every day. He's living on jail food. And according to some recent articles, he has aged dramatically, fainted numerous times, lost a lot of weight, and is in very poor health. And I will say in recent pictures, he looks like shit. I mean, he looked like a fucking dark crystal 
kind of weird puppet before, but now he looks like a, a damaged Dark Crystal puppet. I bet his pedo dick is shriveled up. I'm sure he's pumping himself full of Viagra or the equivalent. All over for Peter Peter Teenage Pooper Eater. Uh, once all Canadian trials have wrapped up, if he's still alive, he'll be extradited to the U.S. for more trials. If he's still alive after that, you know, um, well, he'll spend the rest of his life in fucking prison in either the U.S. or Canada. Or who knows? Maybe there's a small chance he'll even go on trial in the Bahamas. And now let's hop out of uh, that big old time suck timeline. Good job, soldier. You've made it back. Barely. All right. Full disclosure, uh, the setup for the Chris Hansen part of the show was supposed to be about an hour to an hour and a half. But it's me. I get in and I can't help myself. But now we're here. Now for a very uh, rare and special treat today. Let's check in with Chris Hansen, learn a few more details about Peter Nygaard. Uh, get to know Chris a bit. Greatest pedo exposer ever. The, the predator catcher. Uh, the executive producer of Unseemly, the investigation of Peter Nygaard. Well, we have Chris Hansen here with us. Uh, first off, Chris, just, yeah, thanks for, um, you know, coming on the show. We don't do many interviews, but we are very excited to have you. Well, I appreciate it. And uh, thanks for having me. Yeah, you, uh, I, I admire you greatly. I, I, I rant a lot about uh, when we do topics about <laughs> pedophiles, about being angry at them and uh, <laughs> wanting so much punishment for them, but I don't, I don't actually help catch them. And so, uh, you know, you've just done such a great, great service. I, 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 I almost picture there's like a, some, maybe a, a pedophile in a cage behind your couch there or somebody <laughs> you're just going to take him to jail after the uh... cleaning, cleaning the floors or something. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, what's, a, what's amazing to me is when we started uh, the Predators I've Caught podcast about a year ago, Yeah, it dawned on me that the very first predator investigation was 18 years ago. Yeah. You know, and we were out, you know, we're doing a whole new series for our, our new crime streaming network, True Blue. Yeah. And uh, we were just out <clears throat> three or four weeks ago in, 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 uh, on another investigation, and we caught a cop. Uh, I, just, I just watched that. Yeah, I just president of a, of, a, of a manufacturing firm and a guy who pulled up in a massive dump truck who was a business <laughs> owner. And so, you know, <clears throat> when we first started, we merely had decoys and chat rooms on AOL and Yahoo. That's how long ago it was. Right, Today, right. You know, you know the explosion of, of social media platforms upon which predators yes. can approach kids. And it's, it's astounding. But I never thought we'd be still at it all these years later. I, I really thought it was going to be, you know, a two or three episode investigation as a part of Dateline. Right. And nobody would ever show up. We'd have made our point. Guys would have gotten into trouble. Right. But that's not what happened. And, and I think that as, as long as we do it because of the nature of the crime, the ubiquitous nature of it, and because of the opportunity and just the, the nature of the internet, I, I don't think it's going away. So the best no. way to protect our kids is education. And, and, I, and I think, you know, just um, exposing them and talking about it and, and showing disdain for them and putting, you know, their faces on, you know, a video or talking about their names on a podcast and, it, we receive a lot of emails from our listeners when we do episodes uh, about pedophiles and show how damaging it is and remind the listeners that it's not the victim's fault and these are predators and they're very skilled. And it and it helps, I think, other people deal with their own trauma and, and face, you know, maybe predators sometimes in their own families and their lives. And the more you talk about it and the more you expose it, 
uh, the more people are helped. You know, I'm just amazed well, by the emails you, we get. You're exactly right. And, and what amazes me personally, you know, along the same lines is that how many times I'll be out and about, you know, either here in New York or Michigan, uh, and, and somebody will come up to me and say, hey, can I talk to you just for a minute? Wow. Yeah. Here, and that person, sometimes men, sometimes women, will say, you know, this happened to me. And yeah. by watching the show, it empowers me to know that, number one, I'm not alone and that somebody is out there seeking yeah. justice. Yeah. Now, you know, ICAC, federal, local police, sheriffs all over the country do these investigations, you know, without me there. Sure. Routinely. Sure. And so it's, it's, it's not, not just me. Mm -hmm. I, we just happen to bring awareness and create a dialogue that didn't exist before because, you know, we, and I try to do this with all the topics that we cover, but we were able to, you know, insert ourselves right into the commission of a felony and show people how that happens. The grooming process in the uh, chat, mm -hmm, why these guys mm -hmm. are so successful in getting a meeting. And when I immerse myself, you know, in the chat logs, like we do for the podcast, it reminds me that often these guys follow a template. Yes. You know, it, 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 it's, it's very similar the way they break down the traditional barriers between children and adults in our society. And it's, God, it just, it just, mind-boggling but it's almost like there's a school they go to <laughs> right they do this you know right they probably uh well i mean that's an unfortunate you know side effect of probably social media now is they are able to learn from others mm -hmm. and and that but but also the more exposure you give i just like we're never going to know how many children you have saved from being uh you know affected by one of these predators because their parents have watched it they have watched this Maybe they, they got the red flag when they otherwise wouldn't have. And I would like to think that the more exposure these cases are given, that, that at least a, a certain percentage of these dirtbags decide not to do something because they're worried they will get caught. I hope. Well, I don't at, know if that's true, this, but I hope. Look at this guy we caught in the, um, in the most recent investigation, Todd mm -hmm. Morocco. Mm -hmm. He was a cop in mid-Michigan. Yep. I like he was. Had, emphasis was. Was a cop. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He had um, worked for other departments. Mm -hmm. He had applied for bigger departments, and he had worked in multiple school districts as a superintendent oh, or assistant yeah. superintendent, and had a job actually monitoring kids who had gotten into trouble, who were you know being being uh, you know in programs designed to to keep them out of trouble. Right. So he's he's involved with kids and people at a very vulnerable state of their life. And now, because there was publicity around this, yeah, people have been coming out of the woodwork and saying, well, I had to fire him from this town. And he stalked me afterwards. He would come to my home. He pulled me over and gave me a ticket yeah. that I didn't deserve. So here's this one story, this one case of a guy trying to meet a 15-year-old boy. Yeah. And he's been involved in all these other things. I'm, I'm amazed by that history that gets unraveled. And it's, 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 yeah. it's always so sad to me where it's like there were so many instances of they should have been caught here. They should have been caught there. And, you know, a portion of this episode is dedicated to a, a infamous pedophile now that I would have never heard about had you not uh, executive produced a, a docu-series on him. 
But I was blown away by Peter Nygaard's story of decades and decades oh, of so many 50 things. Years. It's, We're it's crazy. About yeah, five decades. It uh, you know we 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 get involved in a lot of long term projects. Yeah, but very few have required the lifting it took to put the Peter Nygaard story together. Uh, Once we got going, you know, it, because it started essentially as a beachfront battle in Barbados between billionaires, right? Right. Yep. You got these guys in the Bahamas yeah. that, yep, are, yeah, yeah. And so Lewis through Bacon. this civil fight down there, mm -hmm. Lewis Bacon, a uh, very well-known, respected hedge fund mm -hmm. guy, um, came across this information about Peter Nygaard and what was going on at his neighboring right. estate in the Bahamas. And it was just horrifying stuff. Children yeah. being drugged and raped. Adult women being drugged and raped at his compound, having right. friends over for these crazy parties. And he was getting away with this largely because he was bribing Bahamian officials. Right. I mean, there's stories, and you hear them in the, in the documentary that, that we did for Discovery Plus, mm -hmm. the stories of shoving cash money into like fish. fish yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and this guy went so far, Nygaard, and was so out there that even some of his own children right? his decided sons. to cooperate in the investigation. Mm -hmm. Kai. And then the daughter. Yeah. Them, who yeah. cooperated in her investigation. And, and, you know, the women who he lured into his world with promises of modeling and contracts, because even though most of what he did was private label stuff or it was at department stores for diligence, I mean, it was a lot of stuff. Oh yeah. And yeah. It was very popular mm -hmm. and made him very, very wealthy. And so he had power, he had clout, but he was a first class predator with thousands of victims literally over uh, five decades very very similar uh to epstein in many ways but not nearly yeah. as known that's what surprised me about his story uh when we went through it with our own research on top of what you did as well was that uh it had been going on so long there was so many victims and what really disgusted me the most was the bartenders at his nygaard key down there that you know the staff and the staff in new york and security guards that guarded rooms while these women were being victimized or that actually dropped uh, roofies or roofie equivalents into people's drinks on his behalf oh yeah it's so disturbing that there would be this giant team of people helping this predator dedicated well there were computer lists of of uh, victims and potential victims and invite lists to these uh, pamper parties. And, and that's where the similarity is between Nygaard and Epstein. Obviously Epstein had enablers too. And I learned yes. something from the Epstein investigation. Um, we had been digging around into it, you know, in, in around 15, 2015, 2016. Yeah. And had cooperation from some people who were involved in the investigation, but I was trying to, Put together a sting of some sort, a la, you know, to catch a predator, Hanson versus predator. Yeah. And the levels of security were such that it was difficult to infiltrate Epstein's world. And so I kind of set the story aside, you know, kept an eye on it, but set it aside and got busy with other things. But it was the Miami yeah. Herald. And this is a good listen about lesson about the importance of local news, the Miami Herald and uh, Julie K. Brown, a reporter there, kept chipping away at this story and convinced some of the victims, survivors, to speak out 
and identify themselves. And that's what ultimately led to the prosecution here in New York City. And, right. and even the U.S. attorney at the time said so in the news conference after they arrested Epstein. So the lesson to me was, yeah, this stuff is difficult, time-consuming, expensive, and dangerous. Yeah. We had to have security in the Bahamas when we were interviewing the victims. Now, we went down there in February of twenty right at the beginning of the pandemic. So you were being harassed by- We, we were concerned about different players and, and different people who were on Nygaard's payroll. Right. Some of which are government officials. I mean, it went all the way up to the very top of the government. We didn't there for know. A while. Yeah. So we were low profile. We had a safe house set up to do these interviews. And we were, you know, as, as low profile as we could be. But the stories that these women were telling were so- emotionally gripping and draining. It was interesting because I, I, my wife and, and uh, stepdaughter came down with me to, to the Bahamas for a little vacation. And sure. I kept them so separated from what I was doing for all the reasons you would expect. Of course. Um, and, and we had talked about, well, should we do these interviews at a hotel suite? Because we often do. And ultimately we decided to rent the house and safe house and have security and gated and everything else for yeah. all the proper reasons. Now we didn't run into any trouble, but you know, we also know how to operate in a way that wouldn't draw in trouble. But it right. was it was draining. And we finished that and and barely got back into the country before they shut down everything because of the pandemic. So yeah. we did the rest of that story, a lot of it remotely, but we kept production going even during the pandemic. And that's why we were able to turn it around so quickly. I mean, once we got shooting, it was a heavy lift and a, a long haul getting it going. But once we did, um, we were able to turn around and get it on the uh, first part of last year. I, I, I think what uh, people find, a lot of people, the most fascinating about stories like Nygaard and uh, Epstein, you know, we deal with conspiracies on Time Suck here as well. And, you know, and I will uh, kind of laugh a lot of them off, you know, like the the giant global cabal of, you know, uh, satanic Illuminati sex traffickers. Sure. And, it, and it gets pretty cartoonish. But, I'm sorry. Pizzagate. Right, exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. 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 We, we've covered Pizzagate. Exactly. Um, but then you see these stories like this and it plays into the conspiracy, conspiratorial mind's worst fears that there is somebody who in blatant view of people around them was able to, you know, bribe government officials did have, you know, people, not that there's any proof that they did anything, but like Prince Andrew, which was linked to both obviously and celebrities, Michael Jackson, et cetera you know, that were involved in going to his key, just like people had, you know, going to Little St. James with Epstein. And it just plays into the possibility of like, for some people, uh, of mm -hmm. is there actually uh, uh, some kind of cabal or how deep does this go or how widespread? Do you think just based on your expertise in this area that uh, a case like Peter Nygaard or Jeffrey Epstein is extremely rare or uh, because these people have so much power and influence, is it more common than uh, someone like myself may want to believe. Uh, I think this kind of evil, thankfully, is extremely rare. Extremely rare, yeah. Uh, in, in my experience, I mean, it exists. As the old saying goes, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. But one of the reasons that he was able to get away with this for so long is that when a victim would surface and take legal action, he would silence them with money and NDAs. And yeah. remember, he was based in Canada, in Winnipeg. Right. right? And mm -hmm, so when the mm -hmm. C, uh, the CBC, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation, went after 
him. Yeah. They were silenced essentially by legal action. The, the laws are different in Canada. And so, you know, there was some great reporting that got done up there, you know, before we started into it. And they have since, you know, been able to air this stuff. The fifth estate, I believe the program's called up there. Yep. Yep. That's correct. And, yeah. um, <clears throat> you know, but he kept it silenced for, you know, years and, and there were court orders preventing uh, the Canadian broadcasters from telling that story. And, and, you know, here we're much more free, obviously, yeah. and, you know, Canadian courts can say whatever they want. I'm doing the damn story. You know? <laughs> right, right. And that's what we did. And you what, know? and what and, a story part of it was so cartoonish, sorry, but the, the, the stem cell thing oh. reads like something out of a movie where you might be like, Oh, come on. It's so over the top. Unbelievable, but true God. and verified by numerous sources close to him. And, and I can explain a little bit that yeah. he was fascinated with stem cell research, with this quest for a fountain of youth. You know, he had the hair and he worked <laughs> out and took all the supplements. And right. you know, he fancied himself as this lion of a man, but he was a lion of a predator. Right. The, the most similarity between uh, him and a lion. And he believed that stem cells could keep him young. And not only that, he believed that if he impregnated sometimes through rape, right. A woman, a young woman underage, and that that fetus was aborted and the stem cells were harvested from that fetus. Uh, he was the father, which, which there's no medical basis for this, uh, for this type of not genetic that link I'm that I'm aware of either. Right. But, but, but they were all these doctors and you know, overseas and in Asia that he would see. And, and he truly believed if they could harvest those stem cells and inject them into himself, he would find the fountain of youth, that he could live healthily and sexually robust well into, you know, the triple yeah. digits. So he would fly around with his entourage, you know, people right. capturing this on video uh, to all these far-flung places for these meetings to try to harness this. He wanted to start and did really uh, at least the beginnings of get um, a plan together for his own stem cell research facility in the islands that's, that's where he bananas. could control this. And then, you know, in the course of reporting all this, yeah, I get a call from a contact of mine who said, you're working on the nine guards, right? Right. And I said, yeah. Well, I said, well, I got a guy you may want to talk to is a lawyer. I said, great. Who's your representative? He said, well, <clears throat> the guy who is Nygaard's videographer and producer for three years, and he mm -hmm. wants to share his story. He doesn't want anything for it. No money. But just, wow. I said, oh, my God. So now we have yeah, hundreds treasure of hours trolls. of videotapes to go along with what we're already going to do anyway. I've seen so some of that. Him screaming jackpot. screaming at yeah. people, his staff and everything, oh. just, you know, just so abusive. Uh, the pamper parties. Right. Whole, you know, the whole thing was, was, you know, we had video of it now. I, I often think with uh, – uh, you know, predators like him is, is kind of more of a unique type where they just, um, you know, I just wonder how evil they were, you know, for lack of a better word, uh, to begin with, you know, maybe dip their toes in, they, they get away with a, a rape and then they get away with another rape and then they get this money and they end up in this echo chamber surrounded by people financially dependent on them who just uh, tell them whatever they want to hear. And if they go long enough, and Nygaard's such a rare case that way, they just become so cartoonishly evil. Well, that's exactly right. And, and just like any other predator, though, they do ultimately blur the line between fantasy and reality. 
and they right. justified this in their own mind. And, and that's, you know, to, to Peter Nygaard, this was a Friday night or a Sunday afternoon at the beach God. in Marina Del Rey, you know, <laughs> with, the, with the doors that he had the combos to for his female guests and would just come and go as he pleased and force himself on these girls after they'd been drugged. My I mean, God. This, is, this was routine. And there are other co-conspirators there who are still be, being investigated. And, you know, that case is far from over. I, I, I think sometimes cases like his, I mean, I mean, admittedly, I'm fascinated as well. I do try to remind our audience that they can distract from the, the more kind of uh, worrisome threat that is probably around, you know, the average listener's lives, the average, you know, citizen's lives where you can see this, you know, Nygaard person who, again, it just seems like a, a caricature of a person, you know, like a, a Bond villain of sorts, but, you know, more twisted when the real threat is more likely... Uh, a relative, a friend of the family, uh, somebody in a position of authority uh, in the kids, rather than some creepy boogeyman or some evil genius kind of guy, like the stereotypes of the the creepy guy in the bushes uh, at the park. It's, you know, the the thing to worry about more is who's who has access to your children. Who, who, well, I think the, yeah. the Predators, <clears throat> excuse me, the Predator series has shown that in that. Mm-hmm. You look at all these guys, the 500 or so of them that, that uh, I've confronted over the years. Wow. And they don't generally stick out of a crowd. And they yeah. represent all walks of life. We've had doctors. We've had you know, law enforcement officers. We've had teachers. We've had business people. We've had, you know, you say it. We've right. done it. You know, military folks. I've and all- I'm reminded of this yeah. as... Not only as we shoot these new investigations for the new crime streaming network, True, True Blue, but also, you know, when we do the podcast and, and, you know, so much of this stuff is done, you know, in the moment and, and you have research, you have the mm-hmm, transcripts, mm-hmm. but he, some guy can show up an hour early, he could be late and, you know, you're, you're, you're working on a bit of a tightrope there. You're, you're trying yeah. to manage it all. And even though law enforcement's there and we have security and everything, it's, it's, it's busy. So to go back on these cases... And to immerse myself in them is really quite an experience because you realize, because, you know, oh man, you know, that's what this guy was referring to, or this is what he was getting at because I have the time to, you know, to, to live in it. Yeah. I mean, go back over the interviews and, and look at their reaction to, you know, things that I say, it's, it's really, it's really, you know, in a dark way to me, at least it's fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've often wondered with you specifically, like, okay, I know you just from reading, you know, things online, bios online that you, you got into journalism because of the Jimmy Hoffa case when you were young, fascinated, but then it, you know, when to catch a predator came out, you, you took a turn into this world. Um, Was it just, you know, oftentimes in, you know, obviously acting or, you know, uh, with what we like, okay, I've had a bunch of weird jobs in my past reality TV production hosted this gig at uh, Playboy for a while. Like we are just a random assortment of things, stand up. And a lot of it was just happenstance. I was going out for numerous auditions or whatever. And this one happened to hit not because of a deep passion for it, but it's just the way the path kind of bent with, with you. I have often wondered, like, did you want to do a show like to catch a predator for a while? Was this uh, uh, something that was really motivating you to get, or, or was it more of a random occurrence? And then once you got in, you've stayed in this, more or less in this lane? Well, I, I always was drawn towards and tried to develop, you know, that sort of impact enterprise reporting. Yeah. Uh, that at the time, you know, the network was allowing me to do, whether it was right. going over to Cambodia and exposing children in brothels being uh, sold for sex to Americans yeah. and Western Europeans. 
you know, those are big stories or child slave labor in India or, you know, con men operating from Nigeria to Europe and all over the place, you know, Al Qaeda monitoring blood diamonds in West Africa for terrorist funding, you know, all those things that, that we were able to do. Not every day you do, you know, murder mysteries and you do a lot of different things that are interesting, but yeah, you know, I was able to dig into that. So this was kind of an extension of that. Now I had no idea that it would turn into what it has turned into. Yeah. Uh, Nor did I think that we would be doing it for this long. I mean, really, I I thought we'd do it three or four times and that'd be it. And I never saw it as its own entity initially, but that's what it became. And, you know, I, there's, there's a certain iconic pop culture aspect to this too. And I always joke that when my older two were in, in, in high school, you yeah, know, they went to a school where kids had dads doing a lot of cool things, you know, Wall Street, <laughs> ship sure. and, you know, whatever it was. And um, so it was no big deal to have a dad who was on TV. But when South Park did a Chris Hansen Predator episode, <laughs> suddenly I was the, the coolest dad. Yeah. So there's that that part of it too. And and so, yeah, I and my second son is a, is a reporter on television as well in Orlando. And, and we have this discussion, you know. By doing the Predator series, I mm-hmm, continued mm-hmm. my passion for exposing evil, I yeah, suppose, in yeah. a very complete way, in, in bringing the audience into a, a world they wouldn't normally see and they hear things they wouldn't normally hear and, and bringing them on this journey of discovery. But it does take you away from more traditional, you know, I'm not going to go cover the White House now. Right, not right. Because I'm not interested in it, but that's not the way my career path went. Yeah, I'm not going to go cover the Supreme Court now, you know, unless right. somebody gets busted for being a predator. <laughs> it's just it's just a different path. And so we have this discussion about, look, it, not one is right or wrong. It's fine to be a, you know, straight up journalist your whole life and, and, and do the news. Yeah. But, you know, this is what happened. And I decided to seize the opportunity. And, and, and I'm, I'm fine because it it allows me to have access to a lot of worlds that I wouldn't normally have access to. When I right. walk in, say, say there's a tornado, just for the sake of discussion, or a hurricane. Well, who's the sheriff going to let in? Mm-hmm. You know, somebody he doesn't know, or Chris Hansen, who catches predators. Right. And it's allowed me a great deal of access, which allows my audience a great deal of access. Are, are you? So you use it for the, you know, for the best case scenario. Yeah, yeah. Are, are you... Um... Also, maybe like more, you know, more deeply motivated than you would be if you were working perhaps in a different field of journalism by the by the feedback you get from the people who have watched the show who have say you have helped their life, you know, who like other. There's, victim- no, there's no question. How could you not be touched? Right. Correct. I mean, I'm. Uh, it, it's it's emotional mm-hmm. to to know, and it's very fulfilling to know that you've struck a chord with somebody at that level. Or that you may have kept somebody from going down a bad path. Yeah. Become a victim of a predator. And and again, you know, when I question these guys, whether it's a predator case or anything else, I mean, anybody can jump out from behind a, a bush or a curtain and create 10 seconds of dramatic video. My job is to get in this guy's head. Right. And I was screening a screening one of the new shows the other the last night, as a matter of fact, writing the script and and you know, it was a long interview and it was, you know, good for me to remember that 
you know, you don't have to pounce on them right away. What, my goal is to get inside their head so we can understand how it works, so we can prevent other people from becoming victims of predators. Cool. That's a simple point. And when, when you say to prevent other people from becoming predators, I, I've always, you know. From victims of predators. Sure, yeah. sure. Yeah. Uh, do you think that the predators, I mean, I think I think the jury's still a little bit out on the science, but are they born this way or did, did they make a choice? How, how much, how much is on them? Do you think, or do you know? This fascinates me. And, and, you know, I don't think there is a one size fits all policy on this okay. yeah. treatment plan. Right. I mean, we want that in America. We want sure. to know that, okay, give them this drug, lock them up forever, whatever it is, <laughs> right. send them to this therapy session. This is how we want this to wrap up. And that's not the way this goes. I have interviewed, a number of therapists, people who specialize in this world, yes. who will tell you that a lot of these guys can be treated and with the proper therapy. And if you break the code and get them, you know, into the into the mindset that they need to be, you can prevent them from acting out and offending again. And I believe that some guys can do it. I also think that mm-hmm. there's something very interesting about the science that says some people are just wired this way, that there's a deficiency in the brain somehow that doesn't allow them to put the brakes on predatory behavior. And that there's a, there's an element of science to that too. So that concerns me. And again, this is, this is totally non-scientific. I'm not a therapist. This is only based on my experience. I think they break down into three categories. I think you've got the heavy hitter who'd be doing this with or without the internet. He's the bad guy at mm-hmm. the playground, the food court at the mall. He's the bad little league coach, the bad scout master. He's going to seek out opportunity wherever he can find it. And the, yeah. that guy can't be fixed, right? Lock him up. Yes. And then you've got a younger subset in my world of predators, 21, 22, 23, socially inept, uh, eager to have some sort of a sexual liaison. Mm-hmm and creeps down the road until they find somebody who's vulnerable and they may have a predisposition to being turned on by somebody who's younger. Mm-hmm. And they figure, okay, if this works out in a couple of years, she'll be old enough. It's a Romeo and Juliet thing. Those huh. guys yeah. sometimes can be fixed. They can okay. go to have probation. They can be monitored. They can go to therapy and they probably won't offend again. Then you've got this very interesting group in the middle mm-hmm. guys who would normally not offend They're predisposed to this, but they wouldn't offend without the internet, without the access. Right. They're opportunistic. Addictive nature, the anonymity. Mm. And as you mentioned, the opportunity to seek out and have these conversations. People say things on the internet they wouldn't say face-to-face. Correct. (laughs) And then at some point, they blur this line between fantasy and reality, and they come knocking on our door. And that's when you've got this oh, wow, moment of being face-to-face with a doctor who works for a company that is on the cutting edge of curing cancer. My God. And he has chatted with not one, but two 13-year-old decoys or decoys posting his 13-year-old girls. And now Mm -hmm. he's in our sting Mm -hmm. being arrested and calling his wife, also a doctor, saying, come to the county jail and bail me out, bring 30 grand, but not the children. Right. Based on some of these guys, especially the, the first category you mentioned, I, I, I've, you know, there's studies out there about recidivism rates, 
And, uh, you know, they're, they tend to not be great as far as, you know, these guys tend to be very likely to reoffend. I, I, I worry about them even when they don't get caught reoffending. Do they just get away with it or that they're just ticking time bombs waiting for the right opportunity based on, you know, interactions with so many individuals and, and, and helping them get arrested and, you know, doing docu-series on them and the podcast and the YouTube series, like you've done a lot, so much invested, uh, investigatory work with this population, do you think the laws in this country need to be changed? Because I, I find them often to be too lenient where, you know, it bothers me that someone will get busted for a drug charge, for example, and spend more time in jail than somebody who rapes a child or has molested multiple children. And there's plea bargains. And I know it's complicated, but could we protect more people if there was tougher well, sentencing? I think, uh, I, I think that the laws and the sentencing have changed. And that's one thing that um, I can't take credit for, but I know it, it, it stirred a big conversation in 2006, seven and eight. Yeah. In the Senate, U S Senate Congress. And I testified in front of Congress and, um, in some of the initial early investigations, especially in California, the judges were looking at these cases like, okay, it's a sting mm -hmm. TV show is involved. If it wasn't for that show, these guys wouldn't have gotten caught. So a lot of these guys were getting light sentences right. unless they had something in their background that would make them a second time offender or a third time loser or something like that. Yeah. That's changed, you know, and, and it's changed not because solely of what we've been doing. Obviously, we've brought attention to it, but also because the law enforcement across the country is much more proactive. And you realize that once you catch one of these guys, the chances are very good that this is not their first time, right? That they yeah. be free. And if you go into federal prisons where people are serving time for this sort of crime or, or yeah. state prisons, you will hear two things. One, if they got caught for this, they've done it two to four times before. Right. Two, there is very definitely a link between viewing child pornography and offending. And mm -hmm. those things, you know, no matter what anybody tells you, I'm here to tell you that those things are true. It, it makes sense on a behavioral level where you're training your brain, you know, to become no. more and more, you know, well, you know, porn can be destructive in uh, a variety of ways. I mean, I, I think there's a healthy adult level of learning new things sure. in the bedroom, that kind of stuff. But also people get lost in that. And then, you know, it's like a BF Skinner type stuff where you get this well, pleasure yeah, reward what over and over. It is exposed to it too soon and mm -hmm. it gets normal, you know, graphic, yeah. aggressive, physically abusive behavior becomes normalized. Mm -hmm. And that's what somebody expects when they reach an age of sexual activity. Right. It, it, it really, I mean, it, the challenges of raising kids today um, are great. And, yeah. and it starts with a conversation uh, about the reality of life versus the the uh, things you see on the internet. Right, right. And, and, you know, it's it's you know you got, you got a whole world of people who are into furries. You know, <laughs> I know it's who, who want to have sex yeah. with anime girls. I mean, it's 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 skewed, and, and if you don't create a sense of normality somehow. Yeah. In your home. And it starts, you know, early on, as soon as a child is on, you know, the internet or exposed to it or has access to it, it's got to be, look, this is wonderful. It's a wonderful learning tool, but yeah, there are adults out there who like to trick kids. Yeah. Kids don't like to be tricked. So if you can start there and, and ratchet up that conversation as the child 
gets older and yeah. has more activity. And the other thing is, look, just because somebody sends you a picture, right, claiming that they're a cool-looking fifteen-year-old surfer dude from San Diego, <laughs> right? There's nothing that says he's not a fifty-three-year-old fat balding guy in his <laughs> underwear in his mother's basement, surrounded by pizza boxes. And sometimes right. you have to explain it just that way. And it gets, mm-hmm. wait, what? Yeah, that's that's <sighs> you don't know. It if is, you don't know him in real life, you don't know him on the internet. That's correct. Sure. It is so much more complicated. I mean, I, I didn't realize how innocent my my childhood was where, you know, my first exposure to sexuality, and I'm not saying this for a joke, but it was the JCPenney catalog where it was yeah. like uh, – basically like yeah, very yeah, they'd be considered like grandma bras now they were yeah, very yeah, like yeah. and i was it'd like be, oh my god served a bathing suit today you know <laughs> uh to to take it back to the the crime and, and punishment thing I, I imagine you're pretty familiar with mcneil island uh in in, in uh, that prison where they had this policy uh where it's in like washington state where people who are deemed i, I thought this was very interesting people who have completed their sentence but are deemed at a extremely high risk to reoffend. They were able to keep them, or, or, or able to keep them incarcerated beyond what their sentencing would normally be. In the case of, you know, uh, very dangerous pedophiles, I, I, is that something you'd like to see, or something similar to that expanded? It's something that I would well, I, like I to think, see possibly expanded. The, it's it's dangerous, a slippery slope. For it. There's, there's yeah. a place for it, and I also think that there's a place for, and this is very controversial. But yeah. You know, there there's a, a trailer park, for instance, in uh, Pinellas County, Florida, that is known as, you know, the Predator Park, because hmm. it is highly populated with sex offenders. And they monitor each other and people know where they are. They're registered and, and, and they live there and largely, you know, the police Ooh. know, the sheriffs know. And, and it, it's, it's creepy to think of. And only and sex offenders can live there then, right? Well, that's, I don't know if it's only limited, oh. but that's who lives there. Yeah. You know, and it's it's right in Florida on the, on the uh, Gulf Coast there, and you know they're they're open about it. They talk about it. They monitor each other. And they 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 know when the urges come, and they know how to deal with it as they they claim. Man, but I don't want to be like living out of a horror movie. No, yeah, I, I know, but you know, but you know, you can't kill them all. You can't <sighs> incarcerate them all. So you need to you need to be intelligent. Mm-hmm. about sorting out who can be monitored and who can be helped with therapy and who can't. I had a husband and wife team on the podcast yeah. a couple of months ago and I had met them. My wife and I were at a conference on human trafficking in Houston and they presented there and I was just so impressed with what they were able to do. And one of the things that struck me about their treatment protocol is the relationship between obviously mind and body and, and stimulus and, and working that through. And, and they told the story of a you know, 15, 16 year old kid who didn't commit sexual assault, but was inappropriate. Right. And, and they got this kid and he was a very well-to-do kid in, in, in a nice home, great athlete was headed to college to play college sports. Mm-hmm. And they would argue that because they were able to get to him and teach him empathy and some other things through therapy that when he went off to college, he was a good guy, mm-hmm. a good athlete, a good young man for a woman to date, as opposed to the aggressive, you know, borderline date rape demanding guy right. who just didn't have the empathy to understand right from wrong and, and personal boundaries in a in a, in an intimate relationship. And and I think there's there's a lot to that. 
does does being so involved in this world? I mean, you, you know, you're not just doing these shows. Like you just referenced, you know, you and your wife went to this human trafficking conference. Uh, does it affect how you see like the general public? Because I, I had a limited experience. This was many years ago for me now, but I briefly ran out of college. You know, this is over 20 years ago now. Uh, worked at a uh, a residential treatment center where teens right. teens would come in. They'd run away from home. We'd have a five day or a 14 day bed. They'd stay there until you know social workers could figure out uh, to put them back in the home or wherever. Obviously, uh, you know, sadly a lot of these kids had been the victims of sexual abuse and that would show up in their case files and these things. And it started to affect me where when I'd be downtown, I'd be at the movie theater, whatever I'd be looking around at the people standing in line and just wondering, what about that guy? What about that guy? And and it it really messed my head up a little bit. Uh, It, it made me just, I don't want to say paranoid, but I just had such a dark view then of the public. Does that affect you? Like when you're on vacation with your family? I think, I think you can let it, you okay. Know, or you, can, you can use your spidey senses to, to mm. alert people when you think that something is off or something's wrong. I mean, you know, I ride the subway a lot in New York City. Yeah. Down to the train or do whatever I do as I go through about the course of my day if I'm not traveling outside the city. And, you know, there is a certain aspect of 40 years of doing this that you do a threat assessment when you walk into a new environment. Uh, have you warned yeah. your kids about certain people just based on a, a, a gut instinct with like, yeah, I don't like I mean, that my guy. Kids are, my kids yeah. are grown now. So it's, it's, you know, sure. our, our conversations are different, but you know, but at the time when they were growing up. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say, you know, watch out for this or watch out for that. Or if somebody says this or does this and, and you know, the whole, as you probably know, the whole trick to parenthood is get your kids to, to do what you want them to do and trick them into think it's their idea. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <I'm an exercise. laughs> but, no, but it, it, it's, you know, I, I've, I consider myself very fortunate that I don't, I'm able to turn it off and get out of that world when I want to. And okay. I don't know whether that's a skill, whether it's just, you know, 40 years of doing it and right. And you know, you, you don't want to take it, for granted because you want to keep that passion. You want to keep that edge. You want yeah. to keep, you know, if somebody deserves a, a difficult interview, they're going to get it. You know, I don't go easy on people, whether it's whatever kind of interview it is, but I do yeah. it in a way that's disarming for a couple of different reasons. One, it makes for a much better television show Two, I elicit much more information because I gain the confidence and I really care yeah. what the other human being is saying, even if it's, horribly disgusting and gross. I want to know it because that's information and information is power. And it, right. it goes back to my central theory on all this is if you can get into the mind of a predator, understand a little better how it works, you can prevent other people from, from becoming victims of a predator. And I remember one specific mm-hmm. case in Ohio and this guy was just not giving it up. He was a teacher mm-hmm. and he was there for a teenage girl, Greenville, Ohio, drove all the way from Cincinnati. Mm-hmm. And I kept at him. I said, he can't just help me to understand. He drives up in a red sports car and he's a good looking guy. And, you know, ah, what are you doing? Yeah. I already know he's a, a teacher. And so finally there's this moment of breaking where he says, you know, I, I always chatted with people online, but I kept getting older and the people with whom I was chatting stayed young. And he went into great detail about blurring this line and how he had this fantasy about consummating a sexual relationship with, you know, a younger girl. And he, he gave it all up. 
Hmm. And, and I think at that point he was telling the truth. And he had even, and this was a guy who admitted later having seen previous episodes of the show <laughs> and knowing who I was once we got into the conversation. Right. So, uh, you know, the show is on its third generation of viewers because of the internet and YouTube mm-hmm. and everything else. I mean, you know, there are 14, 15 year olds who are watching the original episodes that were on before they were born. <laughs> right. You know, and, and are, are bugging me online. When's, when's, the, when's the next new one coming out, you know? So it's for a combination of reasons that people watch them. I get that, mm-hmm. but I'm okay with that because at the end of the day, it's having the impact that, that I've intended with it. And, and speaking of just impact there, uh, you know, there's, we have a lucky to have a decent size, you know, listenership. Sure. Uh, I'm sure just to, statistics wise, some people listening to this episode are, have already been victimized and, and, and they're wanting to know, yeah. And they're wanting to know how to get out of that. And, you know, these people, these predators oftentimes are very, very good as you know, at like making people so afraid that if they tell no one will believe them or that people will be hurt, what, what would be your, I know it's different, but you have to, you have to get help. You know, if, if it's, if it's a criminal active, situation you have to go to law enforcement and that's Mm -hmm. hard to do and you have to help yourself and you help yourself by going to therapy Mm -hmm. Uh, i don't think it's coincidence that and i'm not doing this to sell the product but i don't think it's coincidence that one of the main advertisers on predators i've caught with chris hansen is better help yeah yeah we that's that's a sponsor with us as well yes Mm -hmm. people it doesn't mean that there are predators listening who need help not to be a predator but it does mean especially in this environment uh, that we're coming out of with the pandemic, people need to talk to somebody. Right. And help is more available now, whatever service you choose. Yes. In person or virtual, whatever service you choose. Yes. It's out there at a level that has never been available before. And you need to go talk to somebody, you know, especially if you're, you know, I'm very lucky. I've got a, you know, very close set of friends and colleagues and a wife and children. And, you know, we're, we're always in, I'm just blessed for a yes. lot of different things. Right. And, but I'm telling you there, people need to know there is nothing wrong with going out and talking to somebody about it. I have people on my team who have reached out because they're going through any number of things in their life mm-hmm. uh, because it's been available you know, through the podcast. Right, right. And I, th- I think the more you talk about something and, and the more you get it off your chest, the healthier you are. I mean, just think about this for a second. And, and I'm shifting gears only a little yeah, bit. Yeah, Because of the pandemic. The number of reported predator attempts in the transmission of child pornography or inappropriate material to children mm-hmm. went up like 900% according to the National Center of Missing and Exploited Children. And that's based on mandatory reporting by social media platforms like Facebook, Instagram, uh, Snapchat, Mm -hmm. uh, TikTok. So all that soared when people were at home glued to their computers, when children were spending more time online than ever before. What does that tell you? It's it's uh it is and a segment of that population needs to talk to somebody about right it. right it's so sad you need to go do it you know and and if they're currently you know uh, being victimized yes they need to you know get counseling and things but to get to make it stop 
I think historically, you know, a lot of the subjects we do are, we're talking about things that happened in the 50s, 60s, 40s, 30, you know, whenever, sure. a long time ago. And historically, there was victim shaming. There was, you know, um, police wouldn't take things as seriously as they do now. It was a very different culture. Uh, do you think things are, 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 I mean, I think things are vastly improved now oh, vastly that, that, improved. that they you, can trust still, law enforcement. They can trust you can taken trust, seriously. You can trust law enforcement and, and you will be taken seriously. Yeah. But we've got cases that I've done on the YouTube channel that we're doing now for, for the new crime streaming, uh, network, true blue. Yeah. Even today, you've got somebody who's been preying on, on kids or, or other, you know, vulnerable groups. Yes. And they've gotten away with it because they're so adept at finding vulnerable victims who either do not report, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. not report in a timely fashion, or, you know, for a combination of reasons, these guys don't face, then face justice. Now they will, because I'm going to make sure they do. <laughs> yeah. You know, and one of the reasons for the, the um, true blue. Yeah is that we can produce this material. It's, we're going to premiere this in November, but we can produce this material much faster on our own network. It's, yep. a, it's a collaboration between me and uh, Transition Studios because I don't have to go through the layers of bureaucracy right. at major networks. So, I mean, some of this will ultimately appear on major networks, but it's going to be exclusive first on True Blue because, you know, I'll, I'll give you an example. Yeah. There, were, there was this guy who was... Um, targeting, exploiting, physically assaulting, sexually assaulting women who he met online and yeah. various social platforms. <clears throat> and one of the victims talked to another victim who talked to another victim who talked to another victim. Suddenly there's 40 people, mm-hmm. right? 40 victims. I this got one guy. Mm-hmm. And he's still out there. Uh, it's the Tinder swindler taken to a more physically aggressive level. Okay. Excuse <clears throat> me. What do they do? They reach out to me. To expose this guy. Yeah. Now, yeah. instead of having 13 pitch meetings, all I have to do is call Sean Reck and say, I need a crew Thursday to mm-hmm. start shooting it. And when I was at CrimeCon, we presented a segment on that very topic, on that specific story. And people understood it because now we can work more aggressively sooner and, and, and give people this content, which not only they find interesting, but creates a sense of justice right that didn't exist before so it's it, yeah. you know it's it's the same thing that we did with predator in terms of taking people inside the commission of a felony now we're taking it to the next extent by creating a way to get this content more efficiently to the consumer yeah the people who want the content the crime content and, I, and so it's, it's just a very exciting even though it is dark content it's a very exciting time to Use it yes. to create some sense of justice. And and, and before uh, any talking about you know your your content and just you know going forward, I I do like hearing that. And just for you know again, listeners that um you know they will be taken seriously. So you know it, it's, oh, yeah. it's a much no, it's better important. time by me and by law enforcement. Right, there's more outlets than there's ever been, and uh, that you don't have to suffer in silence. And, you know, times are changing in a good way and getting better in that regard. Absolutely. And don't yeah. let these predators make you think otherwise. They're so manipulative and they're so good at lying and instilling fear in people. And it, and it is lies. And uh, hopefully, uh, you know, uh, talks like this will inspire even more people to come forward and uh, stop the cycle of being victimized and, you know, help get these people in, in prison where, where they belong. 
and then and then moving forward to your project. So tell us more. So so you said in November. I know you're already releasing videos on your YouTube channel uh, right. for this, but it, it, so it's going to be more regular or, or more. Or, well, it's or, going to be it's going to be a dedicated uh, crime streaming network. Okay, True Blue. And it's uh, remember. Did you see the the White Boy Rick documentary that was on Netflix? <sighs> no, I have not. I had it recommended, but I've not seen it. Yeah. So the the studio that did that transition studio is run uh-huh. by Sean Rack, and and he and I met during the course of that documentary because I broke the story as a local reporter a million years ago in Detroit. Yeah. We got talking, <clears throat> and he you know he had launched some other streaming networks with great success, and and so now. You know, his idea was to launch this for crime and it's, yeah. it's it's genius. And so it will be something you can subscribe to just like Netflix or anything else. But yeah. It's going to be called True Blue. People can uh, monitor this at watchtrueblue.com and we're going to launch in November. It's going to be exclusively the home of all the new predator investigations, all my other investigative documentaries, the one I just mentioned to you. Yes. And um, I'm getting on the road this week to shoot some more. So um, it's and, not and, and all... Can- Go ahead. Continue with the podcast as well. You ma- ma- in the podcast, yeah, ma- the maintaining podcast both. Predators I've caught with Chris Hansen, mm-hmm. and uh, you can get that on any platform that um, you get podcasts on. And, and that's uh, we're going into our second year. It's done very, very well. And again, it's it's a place where you know we do interviews with people who are involved in this, but we also go back and we mine these previous cases and come up with details never before released. And then we find out what this guy has been up to Yeah, yeah. since then, which is fascinating to people, fascinating to me. And we're also on the brink of getting some of these predators I've caught to talk to us in interviews that I think will be very revealing. And so, which is fascinating uh, to me that they will, I, I'm, I'm amazed part. they will talk to you. I'm amazed that they, well, not all, not all of them do. And, and, right. and there are many who are on the brink of doing so. And many who, you know, told me to never contact them again, <laughs> sure. claim I harass them and all kinds of other stuff. But, you know, um, th- there will be some and we'll have them on. And I think it'll be, uh, it'll be very interesting. And where else can uh, our fans follow you online? Uh, you can be at Chris Hansen on Twitter, official Chris Hansen on Instagram, Facebook, um, and um, the YouTube channel. Have a seat with Chris Hansen. I, I, uh, you're a very busy guy, and I, uh, and I love that you are remaining dedicated. I mean, to this, uh, I, I am sure you know. Just uh, you know, on a, on a financial level, it's not like, uh, well, I got it. I got to keep paying the bills. It's like. This is no, but it's it's a great time of life, you know, uh, for a guy who's been doing it for forty years, whose kids are grown, and yeah. some of them are in the business. It's it, you know, I, I I have a lot of energy, and I have a lot of creativity, and I have a great curiosity about a lot of things, and, and it's a it's a wonderful time to 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 do it all. And you know, I joke with Sean Reck about you know doing a, a food or a cooking show. I said, <laughs> you know, I love nothing more than to never have predators show up or any more crime to cover or any scam artists or anything else. I'd, I'd love to do a cooking show. Spend a spend a month in Italy or something. You know, can't, can't wait two years. Well, I'm glad that, I'm glad that you're not doing a cooking show. I'm sure I'm sure it would be great. <laughs> but I'm glad that you're fighting the good fight and, yeah, and no, just continue to do so. I'm much. not going anywhere. I love it. I love it. And you know, I I. I I uh, talk about these people and mock them and make fun of them, but uh, you do a lot more. You actually help them be brought to justice and be exposed and just can't thank you enough for just being who you are and, and uh, 
and just continuing to do what you do. It's just, it's so important and it's so admirable and I just love well, it. Well, thanks for, thanks for having me on and thanks for the, the, uh, indulgent chat. And it was a pleasure. And last thing you don't have to, but we have a phrase on time suck. We do, we do a little sure. hail, hail Nimrod is, is like the God of time suck who, uh, is all about vengeance for righteous vengeance. And could, could we get you saying a hail Nimrod? Hail Nimrod. <laughs> uh, well, thank you so much. And uh, everybody, yeah, follow Chris Hansen everywhere. He's got so many great projects. Listen to the podcast. Watch, watch the, uh, the subscribe to his YouTube channel. And then you'll find more information about the, um, and I'm sorry, True Blue, uh, the, 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 yep, the network that'll be coming out. You said November. Is there a date? November. Yeah. It's going to be right around Thanksgiving. So right around we'll, Thanksgiving. We'll have, we'll have, uh, we're, they're keeping me busy. I've, uh, I've got a lot of, a lot of, a lot of irons going, so it's it's good though. It's all all fascinating stuff, and and uh, like I said, it's not just the Predator series, which is important, and and you know we're dedicated to that too. But there's a lot of really good stories out there that uh, we have, and we have exclusively. So well, it's fantastic. All about them. I I I uh, look forward to. Uh... Well, it's a, it's almost weird to say I look forward to watching these dirtbags, but I, I look forward to watching you exposing uh, the more and more dirtbags and just uh, doing what you do. You're, you're a living legend, Chris Hansen. Job security. <laughs> well, sadly, yeah. Sadly, yep. There's a lot of that there. And thank you again so much for coming on Time Suck. Well, we are you. honored to have you. I appreciate it. And, uh, we'll, we'll stay in touch, all right? All right. Thank you, Chris. Thanks again. That was fun uh, for me anyway. And yes, I am wearing uh, a different shirt because uh, this part, the, the enhanced interview, different days. Uh, very smart dude. And I, and I really do admire how he could just, uh, you know, do a fucking baking show, kick back and take it easy if he wanted. I guess he doesn't need to make, uh, you know, any more money. He's had a great career, but he wants to do more. Wants to expose more of these dirty motherfuckers. So hail Mimrod. Come on. He tried to say Nimrod. He's a good sport. I find Mimrod instead of Nimrod very funny. Maybe maybe Mimrod is uh, Nimrod's like uh, god cousin, some slightly lesser deity devoted exclusively to exposing and catching pedophiles. Mimrod the pedo god. That sounds terrible. How about Mimrod the pedo hunter? Still sounds a little weird. How about just hail Mimrod? Uh, so let's recap. What did we learn today from all this? Uh, we learned luckily uh, from Chris Hansen that the Jeffrey Epstein's and Peter Nygaard's of the world are thankfully very, very rare in all likelihood. Uh, We also learned though that Nygaard got away with being a rapist for roughly five decades and that so many others seem to have uh, helped him, you know, uh, actively uh, actively helped him rape or at least looked the other way for money, for a job, for a bribe. That was the most disgusting, disturbing part of Nygaard's story to me. The staff knew what was going on. The government officials were paid to stay off the property, to not take allegations seriously, look the other way. There are way more of those people uh, out in the world than there are Peter Nygaard's. There are people who maybe, you know, would never hold some teen girl down and, and rape her, but when they know someone else is doing it, when they're standing outside the door, they don't do shit to stop it or actively uh, help it from being stopped. Man, uh, for money, you know, how much is your soul worth? Can someone buy it for just a bartender's job? That's so fucking pathetic. With the campaign donation, really, you can't get any? Come on. I just, I just don't believe that. I just, I have to. I have to work for this fucking aggressive pedophile. You know, a campaign donation will do it. You're, you're, you're kidding yourself if you think that you're still a good person just because you're not actively victimizing someone in these instances. Think about how much less trauma there would be in the world if the first time some creep like Nygaard you know, did what he did, others reported it. If it was taken extremely seriously. 
If no one was, uh, you know, enabling him, so many future victims saved from being victimized. What's that saying? See something, say something. So say something, do something. Uh, maybe wear a uh, WWHD bracelet. You know, what would Hanson do? Fucking hail Mimrod, you beautiful bastards. Let's get to uh, today's takeaways. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Number one, uh, Nygaard Key is not its own island like uh, Jeffrey Epstein's Little St. James Pedo Island uh, was. It's a tip of a peninsula on the island of New Providence in the Bahamas, not far from the capital, Nassau. But like Little St. James, it was a place where Nygaard allegedly flew flew young women to, uh, many of them underage, for many years to be sexually assaulted. Number two, like something straight out of an Illuminati truth or chat room, Nygaard allegedly, and Hansen also does believe this, intentionally impregnated young women to then harvest their fetus as stem cells and inject those stem cells into his body in an attempt to slow down or perhaps even reverse the aging process. Not exactly adrenochrome, but pretty damn close. Number three, Nygaard becomes part owner of a small clothing company in 1967 that will become, uh, he'll become full owner of uh, the next year. By 1970, there's already allegations. He's, a, he's abusing his position to rape women and he won't be arrested until ni- December of 2020, right? Allegations of, of many, many other sexual assaults have surfaced, you know, going back to the seventies, going forward to the year he was arrested. I mean, half a century, this guy was an active sexual predator. Number four, Louis Bacon, the billionaire Nygaard feuded with for years down in the Bahamas, a man who has also, uh, you know, actively assisted victims of Nygaard, uh, encouraging them to file for more charges, has to feel pretty damn pleased with himself for Nygaard finally sitting in jail. Very little chance he'll ever walk free again. He won. Just like Kevin Bacon freed the town of Beaumont, Texas from not being able to enjoy rock music and dancing. Louis Bacon freed the women of the island of New Providence from being drugged and fucked by at least one creepy old Canadian lame-ass fashion mogul. Both heroes. Number five, new info. Uh, Nygaard wasn't above ruthless tactics to silence those who opposed him. Here's uh, some more. Uh, 2 a.m. on a cool July evening in 2013, a car was spotted rolling slowly past the home of a well-known preacher in Nassau. It circled the block, and as it rolled by a second time, two men got out, threw a flaming object into the car of Reverend C.B. Moss. It's widely assumed that these two men were thugs hired by Nygaard to get Reverend Moss to stop protesting Nygaard artificially expanding his beachfront. Moss had recently teamed up with an environmental group called Save the Bays, which was taking on Nygaard and his effort to expand his property. Nygaard was dredging sand from the seabed, piling it around the edges of his property uh, in a big way, creating a large swath of beach where none had been before. Over a dozen years, Nygaard expanded his property from three acres to nearly six by dumping ton after ton of sand and soil dredged from the seafloor to push his own beach further into the ocean. Moss said, our car, our car was firebombed. We were threatened. Our office was broken into. It was frightening, but it didn't deter us. We were not going to be intimidated. Joe Darville, chairman of Save the Bay, said, we had to fight against not just him, but we had to fight against the government who gave him carte blanche or carte blanche. He knew how to buy people. He bought our politicians. Luckily, fucking Peter Nygaard can't finally buy his way out of uh, both Canada and the U.S. wanting to make sure he will die incarcerated. Time suck. Top five takeaways. Time suck episode 304. Super predator Peter Nygaard in an interview with Chris Hansen has been sucked. Uh, I want to thank the Bad Magic team for help with production. Had to do a little more production this week. Uh, Queen of Bad Magic, Lindsay Cummins, Logan Keith and Joe Paisy, both uh, uh, doing some directing parts of today's episodes. Today's episode... Thanks to Bitelixer for upkeep on the Time Suck app. Art Warlock, Logan Keith, creating the merch at badmagicmerch.com. 
and for running socials with Liz Hernandez. Uh, thanks again to Sophie Evans for the initial research this week. Also, thanks to the All Seen Eyes moderating the Cult of the Curious private Facebook page. Uh, finally, thanks to Becky, Jesse, the Mod Squad for making sure Discord keeps running smooth and to everyone helping at Reddit, r slash timesuck. And I guess that wasn't finally, because finally, thanks to Chris Hansen for coming on the show. Uh, be sure to check out his podcast, Predators I've Caught with Chris Hansen. Uh, next week, the Space Sisters have spoken and they have chosen Edward Snowden. Gotten a lot of requests for this episode. June 6, 2013, the newspaper The Guardian in the UK revealed top secret U.S. information that the NSA had been collecting the phone records of millions of Verizon customers. A subsequent article published June 7, 2013, revealed the secret program's name, PRISM. PRISM allowed data collection of American search history, the content of their emails, file transfers, and live chats. The NSA got their data from companies like Microsoft, Yahoo, Google, YouTube, AOL, and Apple, and people were stunned. All along, the things they'd used every day, their emails, phones, credit cards, so much more had been information, uh, you know, uh, ga- information had been gathered from these things, collected by the U.S. to surveil its own citizens, citizens that were not suspected of any crimes. The source of all this information? Well, Edward Snowden. Uh, off and on from 2006 to 2012, Snowden had worked as a CIA analyst, a subcontractor, and several other positions that enabled him to see the true scope of how the U.S. was surveilling its own citizens. Some of their programs he built himself. He was a, a bit of a, probably is still a bit of a cyber genius. But during those years, he started to have doubts. Were these programs violating the Fourth Amendment to the Constitution? They gave citizens the right to privacy. Was the government behaving illegally against its own citizens? Did the people need to know about these programs? Snowden decided, yes. Yes, they did. And what happened next? Well, you will have to tune in next week to find out. But right now, it is time for this week's Time Sucker Updates. Uh, Record this one ahead of time, Uh, getting ahead for the the summer here a little bit. So no updates regarding last week's show. Just doing that going in. Uh, Super sucker Matt Augustin may have have to find a new wife. Let him explain. Matt writes, hey, Suckmaster, just want to say thank you. I was almost fired from work. I mean, kind of, almost somewhat, not close. But that's not the point. You have made me look crazy at work over the past six months. I'm not sure how I never found the suck. I love a uh, podcast. My wife uh, fucking hates, hates time suck. May have to divorce her now. Anyways, always loved your stand up and share your dark thoughts, but they outlawed headphones in the shop. And well, uh, don't tell the fabricator that. I was able to hide them for the most part, even though I know my supervisor knows I have them. He leaves me alone. Knowing if I keep my mind busy, my anxiety stays at bay. Just want to say thank you for helping me pass the time. Keep me calm while teaching me random facts and making all my coworkers think I'm crazy as they see me laughing for no reason. When they ask why I'm laughing, I just look them dead in the eyes, straight-faced. The voices are funny today, then laugh and walk uh, away talking to myself. Thanks for all the free content. And if you can wish my wife, uh, Andra, Andra, uh, a happy eighth wedding anniversary so I can force her to listen and let uh, that hate fuel some dirty, dirty Lucifina pleasing anniversary sex. Thanks, Suck Nasty and crew. Well, thank you. Thank you, Matt. And begrudgingly, yes, happy birthday. Andra does not enjoy this show. Um, but you know what? That's fine. It's all subjective. I hope you have a happy birthday. And I hope you go full Lucifina with Matt. I hope you uh hope you really uh, you know, take some special time to take care of his uh chicken skin, duffel bag, and various other body parts. And if you want to know what that term means, well, I don't know, listen to parts of the show. Or just look it up on Urban Dictionary and just or, it's very funny to me. <laughs> 
I don't even know what I'm saying at this point. Uh, thank you, man. Next up, uh, down in his luck sack, Kenneth Waldron just got uh, fucked on his birthday. Not in a good way. He needs a shout out. He writes, please, I just have one current request, a birthday shout out. The shout out is for me. I know, kind of petty, but you know, oh well. <laughs> Due to my car breaking down and putting a strain on bills, I can't celebrate my birthday. So I'm hoping a shout out from the suck master will make up for that. My birthday is July 4th. Yes, I made my mom go to the hospital just so I can see fireworks, LOL. Love all things bad magic. Best wishes uh, to all. Well, sorry it is late, but yes, here is a shout out. Kenneth, I hope you had a great fourth. Hope you had a great birthday. And uh, yeah, I hope your fucking car gets fixed. Hope you have a, hope you have a good mechanic and I appreciate you enjoying the shows. And now a special uh, message from super sculptor, sweet sucker, Robert Christensen. Has, has a lot of good stuff to share. Writes, uh, Dear Dan, bumming me out, Cummins. <laughs> Spoken with a German accent. Uh, 20th level dark cleric of Nimrod, bard of the Yamo Be There College, Grand Wizard of Electrico, Beastmaster of Bojangles, and Warlock of Lucifina. Dan, I've been meaning to, be, uh, to message you for a while, but it wasn't until I listened to the Bogwan episode that I finally got around to doing so. First off, thanks for all the D&D references sprinkled into uh, some of your episodes. As a big D&D fan and forever DM, it's fun to hear you make sarcastic comments based on my favorite hobby. Secondly, thank for the, thanks for the additional info about the Bogwan cult. I too watched the Wild Wild Country doc and I felt a little bad about how the Rajneeshis were treated at times in the beginning of their settlement in Oregon. Now, thanks to your sucking, I have a better picture of the cult as a whole. Thank you so much for all the effort you and your team put into compiling information, trying to provide the truth as close as you, as close as you can. Now for the more serious stuff. Like many others that have written in, your content and this community has kept me sane in my darkest moments. Personally, I've struggled with my anxiety and depression that has only gotten worse as I've gotten older. Your dark humor and the positivity you try to convey, despite the darkness, is such a blessing when I'm struggling to just stay afloat. I know it's a weird mix, but I'm glad you and others like it. Uh, Listening to you make fun of Mark Bitchell Twitchell, uh, dominating mole people, imitating Russia's number one pony boy, all your other uh, shit, excuse me, shoot, always makes me chuckle. I added shit. Uh, As a result, I became a space wizard this year, and I went to see you live for the first time. I went to your Salt Lake City show. I almost left before the show uh, because of social anxiety, uh, feeling out of place with all the other fans. I toughed it out though after I got a Coke Zero, member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints with diabetes, uh, and sat down. I calmed down a bit. I'm so glad I did. I never had so much fun. I couldn't help smiling the rest of the night. In that moment, I felt I belonged. To be among so many different people who have the same sense of humor just felt amazing. I hope you continue to be a force for good in the world, advocate for critical thinking. Finally, I have a favor to ask. One of my good friends who actually introduced me to Time Suck just had twins. It would be awesome if you could give them a shout out. Congratulate them on this momentous occasion. Preferably as Albert Fish, if you could. Uh, Their names are Peyton and Emily. Peyton and Emily Moss. Thanks for all you do, Robert. P.S. I'm an aspiring sculptor. It would be awesome if you could check it out. My Instagram handle is ironclad underscore diver. Okay, well, first, first, thank you for coming to the show. Uh, Thank you for being a space lizard. I really, uh, I really appreciate that. And I'm so glad that you had fun and so glad you felt like, you know, part of a cool community. And I appreciate all the references you worked in there, Robert, uh, from both stand-up and the podcast. Now for the the twins. Yes, what a momentous occasion for Peyton and Emily Moss, a couple of little bear cats. Uh, give them hell. Get out there and get that sweet peanut butter and all the hot apple cider you can handle. That's how they do it in Hollywood. And then finally, uh, I'm following you on Instagram now. So very cool, creative shit, man. At uh, Ironclad underscore Diver. Uh, love the med bugs sculptures, especially. And last one, just a quick hitter from funny ass sack, Kyle Azell. Kyle writes, good day to you, master of all suckerness, suckiness. I, my mouth's been out of control last uh, couple episodes. Uh, going back to a few hundred episodes, 
to listen to Random Sucks, currently on the Little Dick Chase Suck. <laughs> Can't help thinking how great it would have been if Papa John's had invested in ads back then. Better people, better shrub sluts, Papa John's. Three out of five stars, suck it easy, hailable jangles. I know, I wish I could like weave it all together. Take like references from new shows, put them in old shows. Maybe uh, sometimes take some of the references from old shows, put them in a few more of the new shows. That's a tricky little recipe, tricky little dance to try and do. But it's a fun one. Uh, Kyle, thanks uh, thanks uh, for sending that message in and thanks to everyone for the messages you send in every week to bojangles at timesuckpodcast.com or just send them through the Time Suck app. That's it. Thanks, Time Suckers. I needed that. We all did. Another Bad Magic Productions podcast is done. Please do not molest women for 50 years this week. Also, do not harvest uh, their fetuses for stem cells so you can live longer to do more raping. You know what? Just don't rape at all. Like not even one time. Instead, just keep on sucking. Bad Magic Productions. Let's just, let's just end with a little bit more bacon. He's dancing so hard. Let's forget how good of a dancer Kevin Bacon was. If that was him doing some of these stunts. Hand movements. His arms just really pumping. His head whipping around, doing some gymnastics. It's pure dance fun. Never been able to dance worth a shit. Kevin Bacon, though. I'm fucking swinging from cable. Probably a stuntman. But I'm going to pretend it's Kevin Bacon. That sweet Kenny Loggins. Back at him. Kenny Loggins, good friend of Michael Motherfucker McDonald's. Just, there's nothing, there's nothing bad about any of this. There's no Peter Nygaard energy. Not in, not in the bacon. Not in the Loggins. Not in the footloose. Dance, you motherfucker. Mm-hmm. It's my favorite part of the song. Have a great week, everybody. Stay footloose. Don't rape. <laughs>